money. Yeah, muted, MacLingua. Good morning, Chen. Morning. How are you, Chen? I'm good, yourself? I'm also good, Chen. Good morning, Chair. Morning. Thank you, thank you for your well wishes and thank you for your beautiful fruits and gift. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much to you and the entire committee, sir. It's a great pleasure on behalf of the committee. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I had some difficulty yesterday. That's why I left a bit early because I've got to keep it elevated all the time and there was no provision there at the, at the city hall. But it's coming right. It's just going to take another couple of months and hopefully, God willing, everything will be fine. But it's getting there. Well, you're doing well. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Honorable members, can we help you? want to hear your voices this morning. I'll be hearing a lot of your voices probably a little bit later. It is now four minutes to nine o'clock. We were to start at five minutes to nine o'clock, honorable members. So welcome to this meeting, which is a continuation of the public hearings on the NHI bill by the Portfolio Committee on Health. You are all very welcome, including uh, members of the media, our staff and officials, members from the National Department of Health, our Deputy Minister, Dr. Sibongi Sene Blomo, will be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, I'll welcome him again later if he's not yet on the platform. Uh, the uh, parliamentary liaison officer of the minister, Mr. Johannes Lapla, and uh, I hope we're going to have a very fruitful and wonderful discussion this morning. Ms. Majalamba, if I can please get attendance and apologies from you. Morning and thank you, Chair. Present is Dr. Jacobs, Ms. Keller, Mr. Sokacha, Dr. Harvard, Mr. Siwela, Ms. Clark, Ms. Wilson, Ms. Ishmael, Dr. Tembekwayo, Mamushengwa, and Mr. Imam Sheikh. I've received an apology from Mr. Van Staden and Ms. Sugars. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. We will be receiving presentations this morning from uh, African Forum, Usatu, South African Communist Party. Honorable members, we're going to be very tight for time. There has been a request by one of the uh, honorable members that we
Recording in progress. Maybe a rule of All members who have logged in shall be considered to be present and are requested to mute the microphones and only unmute when recognized to speak. This is because the microphones are very sensitive and will pick up noise which might disturb the attention of other members. When recognized to speak, please unmute your microphone and connect your video. Members may make use of the icons of, on the bar at the bottom of the screens, which has an option that allows a member to put up his or her hand to raise points of order. The Secretariat will assist in alerting the chairperson to members requesting to speak. When using the virtual system, members are urged to refrain or desist from unnecessary points of order or instant objections. We will go straight onto the presentation from every forum. They led by Mr. Raina Duvenarka. I think it will be supported by Ms. Marianne Dutoy and Ms. Natasha Fenter. You are very welcome, Mr. Duvenarka. You're welcome to show uh, your face. Honorable members, just let us just be reminded to switch on your cameras when you speak. Um, and so, um, because we do have uh, of these. Uh, sessions being broadcast uh, on different platforms. And uh, welcome, Mr. Dubanapa. You're also uh, welcome to introduce your team and go straight on to your presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Members, for this opportunity. Um, my name is Rainer Divenacher, and I will, present, I will be presenting AFRI Forum's input on the National Health Insurance Bill. Uh, now, this presentation will outline the main arguments AFRI Forum bases its opposition of the NHI bill on. AFRI Forum opposes the NHI bill. I will now begin to share my screen so that you can see the PowerPoint presentation we have. All right. Now, uh, in the first place, Going on to the first slide, the government's track record vis-a-vis -vis the management of state-owned companies such as SAA, Transnet, and ESCOM inspires zero confidence that national health insurance will be managed any differently. As confirmed by the Auditor General's report of 2020-2021, state-owned enterprises are hemorrhaging money and placing a severe burden on both the government and taxpayers. Furthermore, the damning findings of the Zondo Commission, in which widespread state capture was exposed, should serve as enough of a deterrent to not monopolize yet another sector. It should, it should be noted, however, that national health insurance will be managed on a much larger scale than other state-owned enterprises, opening the door for even greater failure and financial losses. As such, Despite the, the government's usual empty promises, there's absolutely no guarantee that national health insurance will not go the same way as other state-owned companies. With this considered, national health insurance amounts to nothing but irresponsible gambling with the health sector and therefore with South millions of South Africans' lives. Um, I just, uh, just want to, the next slide, uh, let me just see, oh, there it is. Let me just go there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now on to the next point, honorable members. Uh, 
The government has de- demonstrated a clear lack of will to put an end to the systemic corruption plaguing all governmental sectors. Uh, now, it's Im- almost impossible to calculate how much money has been lost to corruption since the ANC came to power. But recent estimates are that South Africa may have lost more than 1.5 trillion rand between 2014 and 2019 alone. Now, this rampant culture of corruption will simply bleed the potential NHI fund dry. The the government's untrustworthiness with regard to the management of large amounts of of money is further illustrated by the looting of crucial COVID-19 relief funds. Uh, Medical Brief investigated the spending of the COVID-19 relief fund between April 2020 and September 2021. It looked into less than 10% of the 152.5 billion that was spent and found that more than one out of every two rand spent had been stolen, and 62% of the scrutinized contracts were found to have been irregular. The, this brazen uh, nature of state corruption is aptly illustrated by you know, the implication of the, MEC, uh, the former MEC of Health and even the Minister of Health in, in the scandal. Now, in the second place, uh, and this should actually render all other arguments academic. Um, uh, the reality is that NHI is simply unaffordable. Um, there's no f- money to fund national health insurance and no accurate estimates of what the project will cost. AfriForum analyzed the government's impact analysis study on the national health insurance policy on which the, the bill is based, and it found clear flaws, uh, intellectual dishonesty, and unfounded assertions in the study amounting to at best a negligent misrepresentation of the national health insurance true impact and at worst a fraudulent deception perpetrated on the south african public now the the medium-term budget policy statement published in november 2021 stated that a limited costing of the national health insurance amounts to an additional 40 billion per year in funding over the four uh, the first five years However, an independent report from Discovery Medical Aid found that 212 billion is currently being spent on private healthcare in South Africa. This amounts to 44% of total healthcare funding in South Africa. Thus, uh, if private medical aids are to be eliminated, as the NHI bill stipulates, uh, this 212 million, uh, 212 billion, sorry, shortfall will have to be absorbed by the state. Now, due to the, the, the dire economic situation and the government's astronomical debt levels, NHI cannot be funded through loans. This leaves the raising of taxes as the only option for funding. Sorry, there was a disruption. Uh, I think there's an echo. I think someone has an echo. Yeah, uh, can we uh, try to, sorry, uh, Mr. Dudenauke, can we try to sort it out? Is it not on your side, maybe? No, it's not on my side, I reckon. I think it, it, I think it seems like it's been sorted out. Am I correct? Right, okay. All right. Uh, well, sorry for that disruption. I don't think it was on my side, but uh, let's continue. Um, as I mentioned, the 212 billion shortfall will have to be absorbed by the state. And the only way that the state can do this is by raising taxes. Now, in South Africa, taxpayers are already severely overburdened. 
and have to pay double taxes for privatized essential services such as schools, security, and of course, healthcare. And this is also due to government failure. Uh, the already desperate economic situation is further exacerbated by the government's dreadful mismanagement of the COVID-19 pandemic, resulting in a decrease of the already thin tax base. South Africa already has a much higher income tax rate than other countries in its GDP bracket. Uh, the economy contracted by 7% in 2020, and the tax base declined by 7.8%. 7, 7 this in a country where it's estimated that 25% of taxpayers pay 80% of all income tax. Now, if taxes are increased for, for workers to fund the exorbitant cost of national health insurance, it will result in lower take-home wages, uh, increased potential job losses, leaving companies and uh, individuals with less money for saving and investment. This in turn will slow economic growth and job creation thereby disadvantaging the very group that national health insurance purports to assist. And I think it becomes clear against this background that national health insurance will be the straw that finally breaks the taxpayers back, sending the country spiraling into disaster. Now, there you go. Um, now, in, at this juncture, we should also say that Public healthcare is already in tatters. The current public healthcare sector is in tatters. Uh, this is due to the, the government's failure to maintain existing healthcare services and um, uh, facilities and infrastructure. Now, Steve Biko and Charlotte Mateke are but two examples of public hospitals that find themselves in a near perpetual state of ruin due to shortages and general mismanagement. In the 2019-2020 Auditor General's uh, Audit of National and Provincial Health Departments, the Western Cape Department of Health was the only uh, uh, provincial health department to receive a clean audit. Now, since the government has shown itself to be completely incapable of managing existing infrastructure, AFRI Forum has no faith that it will be able to manage a much larger scale national health system. Um, now, moreover, before I continue to the next point, moreover, the government's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic has brought serious questions to mind regarding its capability to deal with medical issues. Large-scale overcrowding in hospitals during the pandemic exposed the disastrous state of public health care in South Africa. This was shown by a BBC investigation of South Africa's public hospitals in Port Elizabeth during the height of the pandemic in July 2020, which found that the health services were in a state of near collapse due to systemic failures. Furthermore, the government demonstrated its ability to exacerbate problems through ridiculous regulations such as the ban on wearing open shoes, uh, buying cooked food, or the failed medical scooter project in the Eastern Cape. Now, in the fourth place, and this is a very important point, South Africa is already experiencing a brain drain of highly skilled professionals seeking personal safety and better value for taxes abroad. 
However, the implementation of national health insurance will cause a previously unseen exodus of skilled medical professionals. In June 2021, the South African Medical Association warned that as many as 38% of its 12,000 members plan to emigrate if national health insurance were to be implemented. In addition to this, a further 6% plan to emigrate for other reasons, and 17% said that they were unsure about leaving the country if national health insurance were to be implemented. Uh, in the face of already crippling staff shortages, uh, the mass, mass immigration of healthcare professionals is something South Africa simply cannot afford. Now, in the fifth place, uh, although national health insurance will only cater for South African citizens and legal residents, it's unknown what impact the country's unsecured and porous borders, which is another ANC failure, and the constant influx of illegal immigrants will have on the system. In addition to this, there are currently no accurate statistics on how many illegal immigrants are residing in South Africa. Therefore, it's completely impossible to predict what impact this will have on the system. This brings us to the, the sixth point. And uh, yeah, in the sixth place, national health insurance uh, will spell the end of the medical aid industry with the state becoming the sole purchaser of healthcare and competition being driven out of the health marketplace. Yet the state is heavily reliant on the private medical aid industry since it simply does not have the financial and human resources to provide for the healthcare needs of all, of all South Africans. To illustrate this point, uh, Private health medical facilities provide large amounts of hospital beds in South Africa, employ hundreds of thousands of South Africans, and contribute greatly to tax income. By implementing national health insurance, the state would destroy an industry it is dependent on, thereby infringing on the public's right to health care. This means government would be depriving citizens of pre-existing quality coverage in favor of a system which is unaffordable, unfeasible, and unworkable. It is tragic that the ANC government has allowed the public health sector to deteriorate to such an extent that many poor South Africans do not have access to basic health services. However, this problem will not be solved by destroying the private health sector, which already overburdened taxpayers of funding out of their own pockets. Now, in summary, national health insurance is a project of which the true costs and service needs are completely unknown, but despite this, is still being foisted on the already overburdened taxpayer. By looking at the track record of state-owned monopoly enterprises, national health insurance will be severely burdened by corruption, excessive bureaucracy, mismanagement, and inefficiency. The government is using national health insurance as a way of garnering votes from poor South Africans who have legitimate grievances regarding the quality of healthcare in South Africa. However, national health insurance will not solve these problems. On the contrary, it will lessen total access to quality health care by destroying the private healthcare sector. This will in turn also lead to the mass immigration of medical practitioners and specialists. 
government is reliant on private health, on the private healthcare sector, and the disappearance of its financiers and personnel will bring about a collapse of the entire health system. Unfortunately, it is the poor people of South Africa that will suffer the most as a result of this. Against this background, Afri Forum argues that national health insurance is a PR exercise by the government to create the impression that it is paying attention to citizens' legitimate concerns about health care. If the government continues its irresponsible course of action in pushing for the adoption of the National Health Insurance Bill, it will further expedite South Africa's transformation into a failed state. Therefore, AfriForum calls on government to recognize the error in its ways and discontinue its power-hungry attempts to create a centralized state monopoly in the healthcare sector to the detriment of all South Africans. The public health system needs to be reformed. AfriForum agrees with this, but the best way of doing so is to start by fixing the current malfunctioning system. This brings us to AfriForum's solution. Um, Professor Alex van Eyefer from Witt School of Governance wrote a report on national health insurance, which found that current problems are due to inherent weaknesses in the governance framework and not the purchasing framework. In other words, the biggest problem in the current healthcare system is that of governance. Now, as such, a centralized monopoly in the healthcare sector will not address the true issues. The only way to help poor South Africans to gain access to quality healthcare is to reform the current system by getting rid of corruption and mismanagement, as is the case in the Western Cape, but also to further expand the possibilities for private insurers to compete in a decentralized free market to provide services to users. Now, Professor Alex von Enhefer's solutions align with the 2019 health market inquiry from the Competition Commission Commission's model, which uh, pr- proposes the introduction of more private medical aids into the markets in the short term to drive competition. Um, this would reduce costs for users and increase efficiency of the, of the current system. In the long term, the inquiry's model proposes the introduction of um, mandatory private medical aids. Um, once the governance issues have been sorted out and, and, and the, the market becomes more competitive. This is achieved, this would be achieved by legislating medical aids to provide low base level healthcare services. It also proposes setting up a dedicated healthcare regulatory authority and an outcomes monitoring and reporting organization. By doing this, there won't be no centralized funds that could be looted. And the working group, sorry? Uh, sorry, someone interrupted me. But I'll Somebody was interrupting. Please yeah, I'll, continue with my, I'll continue with my conclusion. I, I just think the, the honorable members should take more care in muting their computers. Uh, by doing this, and this is the final point of our presentation, there will be no centralized funds that could be looted, and the workings of the free market in a decentralized system will ensure the greatest possible cost efficiency for users. I thank you, Chairperson and Honorable Members, for listening to AfriForum's input on the National Health Insurance Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Dubenacher. There are a number of members who want to raise some questions with you this morning. So it would be Honorables Ismail, Munyai, Gela, Klangwa, Clark, Sukacha, in that order. There is a hand uh, that's raised on the platform that of Honorable Sheikh Imam. Honorable Sheikh Imam, before you, before I give to the other members. 
Thank you, Chair. Me too, please. And then followed by Honorable Wilson. Chair, me too, please. Uh, are those your questions? Chair? Is, is that for your question? Yes, yes. Yes, but I think Honorable Shaky Mums is a different point, unless it's also just been noted for the questions. Honorable Shaky Mums? No, uh, no, Chairperson, no, it's a question that I have for every forum. All right, so you will be after Honorable Sukhachev. I'm going to raise the names again, mention it as Ismail, Munyai, Yela, Lengua, La, Sukhachev, Shankima. In that order, Honorable Members. Uh, good morning, Chair, good morning, everyone. I just have a few questions. My first question. Um, under the bill's current governance and organizational structure, you know, you've highlighted corruption and the high stakes it has, you know, on the implementation of policy and how uh, health, health systems and departments are run. Would every forum then recommend the private sector be included on the board to improve the accountability and legitimacy of the board? And would every forum then recommend that parliamentary oversight to be taken to mitigate the threat of corruption. My second question, would every forum say the bill in its current form is unconstitutional? And can you please specify, you know, on what grounds? We have touched on it on your presentation, but I just want some more, uh, you know, uh, facts or clarities. My third question, considering that the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently can't manage to monitor even 20% of our health facilities, and the fact that health facilities need to reach certain compliance requirements, many of our clinics will not meet NHI standards. Do you feel that this will stifle or impact health services to communities, most especially uh, the poorest of the poorest community? Thank you. Honorable Munyai. Honorable Munyai. Honorable Gela, please continue. Uh, thank you very much, Chaperson. Uh, Chaperson, <clears throat> uh, um, I've got a question that I want to ask uh, Afro Forum. Chaperson, uh, uh, it's very clear, Chaperson, uh, that Afroforum uh, doesn't want uh, people to get uh, an equal health system in South Africa. And they know uh, very well that uh, during apartheid era, um, African people were treated unfairly. Uh, we did not have equal standard of health. We were not treated well. Uh, but NHI is coming with a system that is going to make sure that uh, everyone is equal in terms of getting a health uh, service in South Africa. But I'm not surprised, Chairperson, and I'm not racist, but they know actually that as black people were treated unfairly uh, in terms of a health system. But the ANC has tried a lot 
uh, to make sure that currently uh, we have a better health system, even in the public uh, 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 system or hospitals. For instance, we have a number of uh, health uh, facilities that are better than before uh, because of the African National Congress. We've got clinics that are operating 24 hours uh, in the provinces, which before they were not there because of we are treated uh, very bad uh, in South Africa because of the apartheid government. But we really appreciate what the African National Congress government has done so far. And we don't have a doubt that African National Congress will continue to make sure that they fight for the poor because the a previous government or the apartheid government did not care for the poor. Hence now the African National Congress is trying to correct all the mistakes that apartheid government has done for the poor. So NHI is the only way that South African can go or can move to, to make sure that at least we balance the health system in South Africa. Coming to the question, uh, Chairperson, um, the presenter have presented uh, their consent or their... Uh, my first question is the following. Uh, Chairperson, um, you also argue against using the UK NHS uh, case study for the South African NHI model because the, NS, uh, the NHS system is going through some challenges. Uh, have you considered the improvement in the health outcomes over time since the implementation of the NHS in the UK? Two, are you familiar with the reduction uh, mortality rates and increases in life expectancy since the implementation of the NHS in the UK? Have you considered the overall achievement of the UK system on a variant of uh, efficiency, equity, and access uh, indicators. Are you applying that the current system within public and private health sector in South Africa do not have challenges? Thereby, we should continue with the uh, status quo. Uh, lastly, uh, the British uh, Medical uh, Journal published their analysis on the performance of the NHS in 2018, and they observed that the health outcomes in the United Kingdom have improved uh, substantially since the NHS was established in 1948. For example, average life expectancy uh, has increased by around 12 years from 68 to 80 years. And in fact, mortality has uh, fallen nearly 90% from 34% uh, 1,000 lives births to less than 4% uh, 1,000 of life births. Uh, do, you, do you not want to say the same for South Africa? Uh, that would be my question, uh, Chair to Afro Forum, uh, but I think he will continue and our government will make sure that we balance 
uh, the health system in South Africa. Everyone must be treated equally because currently our government has done a lot to make sure that at least we have a better health system uh, in, in, in South Africa. So our president and also our minister for health, they are fighting to make sure that at least people of South Africa, they get equally uh, service in South Africa, uh, despite of your, 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 your personality, whether you are poor or rich, but you are going to have an equal a health system in South Africa, which is a good move from the apartheid government era. I think our government has done a lot and is still going to do more so that at least all of us, we benefit equally. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Honorable Chair, let me proceed with my question. A total of more than 11,500 people attended uh, the hearing fiscally. Of these 11,500, of the total more than 100 people got the opportunity to speak during this public hearing, of 900 who spoke, more than 800 are calling for this NHI bill to be passed. In fact, many indicated that we have wasted enough time already. We must implement the law, this law, as a matter of agency, as practical and agent as possible. Only a few propose this, this, this law. Only a few opposed to this law. What do you say that those masses of our people who are poor and have no money to pay for private health care systems? What is your answer to them? Is it Afri Forum view that access to equitable health care for all South Africans should not be considered because of organizations such as yours? that have reservation about the experience of government? Does the AFRI Forum believe in the principle of social solidarity or Ubuntu? Who will be this custodian of voiceless and the needs of our people? Let me address the last, the other key element, um, um, Chairperson, that the does the RFR Forum want to persist? Let me address this question. The issue of a nationalization, it's a myth. And I'm sure I've clarified that in a public discourse. Maybe I would want them to, to, to answer the following question. Does the current status quo with racially two dual systems where 8% to GDP accounting more than 400 billion goes to the few who have the medical aid population of 16% and the rest of the population have no access to healthcare. And most of the money in these private hospitals are not used in the core health needs, but non-core activities, such as huge money going to the administrators. Is this what pride uh, then uh, solidarity. Lastly, Honorable Chair, I must say that number one, I'm saying number one from the bottom, which is the last issue. 
is is uh, solidarity or Afri Forum, Afri Forum, Afri Forum want to see, want to see South African divided based on health, access to healthcare. This to me seems to be like a Lazarus Fair. People that seek to advance, not even capitalism, racially based capitalism, where the few will have access to healthcare and the majority be denied. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. My correction, Afri Forum, not solely that, Afri Forum. Thanks. Honorable Sengwa. Honorable I will move on to Honorable Clark and come back to Honorable Sengwa. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Good morning to everybody. Um, I've got a few questions that I would like to pose. One, um, your presentation highlights that the NHI bill is politically motivated. In your view, what is the true intention of this bill? Number two, considering the new health climate COVID has brought upon us, do you think we need NHI now more than ever? Or perhaps it is clearly unaffordable. Um, just in terms of the 3.8 billion rand that was allocated in order to um, ensure that um, we do certain pilot projects um, around the NHI and um, we've actually had no feedback as in terms of what the outcomes were in terms of those pilot projects. Were they successful? Um, did we find that there are certain aspects that, that were not clear, um, uh, it, uh, you know, um, as the outcomes, would you say, you know, would that also show you that um, we have a certain impact um, in terms of the way government does business and um, we, we're certainly not getting feedback on that. Then um, also, um, we also have billions of rands of medical claims on an annual basis. And um, what is your view that the, the costing and the feasibility is not clear on the bill and these medical claims that cost the government billions and billions of rands every year. What is your view in terms of that perspective? And then just in terms of the NHI grant underspending. So in 2020 budget, Treasury shifted 1.4 billion out of the NHI indirect grant, which funds the majority of NHI projects at the time. The Treasury said the cut was due to slow spending on contracting with general practitioners, mental health services, and, on and oncology services. Similar cuts were imposed in 2019, where 2.8 billion rand was underspent, and the medium-term budget policy now sees Treasury cutting 308,4 million from the NHI direct grant, trimming its allocation for 2021-22. What is your view in terms um, of that uh, um, of, of that scenario where the NHI grants are certainly not spent on what they are meant for and they are then returned to um, national um, government. 
to National Treasury. Does that give you a clear indication of the way um, NHI would be managed going forward in your view? Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Uh, is it me, Chairperson? Yes, uh, after you, Honorable um, Sukacho, then be Honorable Sengwa, unless she's back now. I just want to see if she's back. Honorable Sengwa, are you back? Please continue, Honorable Sukacho. Thank you very much, Chair. Can you hear me? I can hear you well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, uh, good morning, colleagues. Um, let me also welcome the presentation. Uh, Agri-Forum has uh, contended that the NSI is politically motivated without any basis of the need for health financing for a reform. I think it is acceptable to disagree on the universal health coverage model if we do not uh, trivialize or dismiss the unjust and inequities uh, in, in, inherent in the current national health system. Now, my first question is, are you not concerned about the skewed distribution of financial and non-financial resources within the national health system in our country? The second one, does it not concern you that most sick people do not have sufficient financial protection from uh, catastrophic health care costs compared to those who can afford? Then the third one, have you not followed the HMI proceedings to hear how some patients sold their homes and other assets because medical schemes refuse to fund their PMB conditions in contravention to the Medical Schemes Act. Fourthly, are you not worried that over and above exorbitant private healthcare costs, beneficiaries of this market are still faced with shrinking benefits? high out-of-pocket payments and dumping to the state facilities of those who have run out of cover. Fifth, from your own analysis, would you say that the per capita expenditure for public and private healthcare services is equitable? If so, please explain how. Another one, what about the disease burden? Have you compared the burden of disease in the public sector vis-a-vis -vis in the private sector, as well as access to healthcare providers within the two sectors? Who must wait longer to see a specialist or who must die waiting to see a specialist? Where is the greatest need and better access. And then lastly, is there no need to equalize financial risk protection and funded access to healthcare between these two sectors to enhance benefit incidents for all whilst 
improving better health outcomes, which is extremely important for economic growth and the nation's productivity. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Can I go in, Chairperson? Are we waiting for Honorable Sengwa? Uh, Honorable Sengwa, are you back? Please continue, Honorable Shekima. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Chairperson, okay, my first question to, to Afri Forum is, do you believe that every human being in the country currently, irrespective of their race, the uh, 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 economic situation they are and things, do you believe that every one of them is valuable, that their life is important to their families, to their friends, that they should have equally health care that will protect them when they need it most? That's my first question. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware what it is like to be standing in a hospital and being told, no, you are too old. We can't take care of you. We, we must rather use these resources uh, for people that are younger. And as a result, people that need dialysis and things like that, and once they're over 60, government hospitals are rejecting them. What is your view in terms of that? Thirdly, I see we talk about a long term, and you are correct, absolutely correct when you say that we've had a lot of shortcomings in terms of government institutions, the SOEs and things, the way they manage. We can't run away from that fact. But at the same time, we can't run away from the fact that every person in this country particularly needs to be protected, needs good quality health care, which is what they're not getting. Now, I see one of the solutions you talk about long-term mandatory uh, 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 medical aids. I still don't understand. The majority of the people in this country even go hungry to bed. So I'm not even sure how they will even contribute, even if it's 20 rand or 10 rand a month, I'm not sure how they're going to do that. But I sincerely believe that it is the responsibility of a government and a country to take care of, it, of its citizens. So if you can tell me there, when you talk about mandatory uh, 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 medical aids, uh, 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 you know, uh, low value, uh, or whatever it is, uh, how would that be implemented, you know, uh, 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 given the fact that our socioeconomic conditions in South Africa and the social divide and the levels of inequality is so high that the majority of the people do not have a, a second meal. Now, that's the other thing. That I'm, now, my other question is, who do you believe, sir, is benefits the most currently out of medical aids? Is it the hospitals? Is it the medical aids? Is it the administrators? It's a very important question, and I have a particular reason for asking that question, given my research into what I've done. Now, you are correct that we have a massive uh, a problem in terms of recruiting GPs and things. Now, would you agree with me that given the fact that a very great percentage of our people, uh, uh, vulnerable people, uh, uh, underprivileged people live in these rural areas, what would your view be of big business and industry 
coming to the party to work together with government to be able to address this problem because many of these people don't want to go and work in these rural areas because of lack of security and benefits and things. And we do agree there's limited resources available. Do you believe that big business and industry in the country should come on board? Because remember, their success depends on the people in this country. Any business depends on the people of this country. And by virtue of the fact that indirectly, these people contribute to the success of big business and industry, what do you think should be their role? I would agree with you that we need to put in stringent measures in place, uh, 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 you know, to manage this successfully given our track record. I'm not going to go in there and, and dispute that. Uh, Chairperson, I will stop there for now. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to every forum for your, your presentation. Um, I have a, a couple of probably statements as well as questions. Um, my first question is that considering some of the aspects of this bill, and, and one of those is denying um, foreign nationals health care, um, which goes against the World Health Organization regulations. That, amongst other things, would you say that the NHI bill in its current form will meet constitutional muster if it goes before a constitutional court? Secondly, um, you've talked about the collapse of the, the health system, and we know that the health system is collapsed. We've done oversights. We do oversights all the time. Um, and, and there's no actual health system to talk about. And I'm referring particularly to the public health system. Now, anybody in this country, regardless of who they are, what they, what they are, where they come from, um, has access to any public health system. I mean, that's common knowledge. You need to go to a doctor, you need to go to a clinic, you can go uh, without charge. The fact is that for most, it's very hard to access those public health systems. And when they get there, the quality is beyond abysmal. Um, they sit for hours, the facilities are understaffed, there's no medicines, the basics are not even there. So I then have a concern. And um, so it's been said that, that you, every forum, actually don't care for the poor. Um, and that is why you are opposing this bill. Now, I have a bit of a problem with that, given the fact that we have been, uh, the, this government has been in place, or the ruling party has been in place for over 20 years, um, and the health system has gone so progressively backwards. Would you say that in actual fact, no plans, no budgeting, and no um, consideration has actually been given to the poor in this country as it stands by the current government. Um, because if you have a look at the health system as it currently stands, that would be pretty obvious to most people. Um, facilities um, to uplift those people in poor areas, to uplift their health, um, to give them quality health care has been non-existent. And instead of improving over the last 20 years, it has actually gone severely backwards. My other question is, can you give us some idea? Um, you've talked about mandatory 
medical aids. But my question is, if we have a look at the current medical aid, um, and I'm, I'm dealing particularly now with the two-tier system, um, what percentage of people on medical aids at the moment are currently people of color and what percentage of those are white? Because my understanding is, is that 65% of those people are actually black people who are currently on medical aids. Um, so, the, you know, the two-tier system is obviously not protecting one section of, of, of the population. Um, in, in fact, the two-tier system is, is working for both. Lastly, um, and I, I need to question this because it's, it's come up in every single presentation that we've had to date, the role of the minister. Now, we know the current SIU reports, um, we see yesterday, in yesterday's news that the um, last minister of health has been implicated in yet another corruption report. We know what the Zondo Commission says. And yet this bill gives literally the sole power of running the NHI, of, of appointing the boards, of hiring, of firing, of everything to the minister. What What is the alternative? I mean, I, I understand that you oppose NHI in its entirety at this stage, or basically in its entirety at this stage. But what would be the alternative solution? And what do you think will happen when we have sole buyer, sole supplier? Um, that is problematic. And one of the things that has been said to us is that this will um, stop any kind of innovation. It will stop people trying to, to come up with alternative medicines, alternative procedures, um, that the creativity of, of, of health, and we have the best health scientists in the world in this country, of, of that there's no doubt. Um, how will that affect that? Um, and basically, thank you, Chair, that is my question. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, and uh, thanks for the presentation for today. I've got only three questions for the AFRI Forum. And the first one is, does the AFRI Forum mean that there is no single positive attribute in the NHI bill as it is presently that you can acknowledge? Question two, how and where would AFRI Forum accommodate the majority of the poor black people who cannot afford any medical expense, no provision, whether in a public or by a private health sector. By this, I mean those who cannot even afford to buy aspirin for a mere headache, but they are well accommodated in the present NHI bill. The last question is, can you expantiate on the elements of intellectual dishonesty as derived from the flaws as findings from the government impact analysis study that you quoted on the National Health Insurance Bill. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Sengwa. Are you back? Honorable Sengwa? 
Chairperson, yeah. I think Honorable Tlengwa put the questions on WhatsApp. Maybe you can read on, it out. It's on WhatsApp. On WhatsApp. All right. Yes. Let me have a look. Thank you. All right. So um, I'm going to read the questions for Honorable Tlengwa. There are two questions. In your oral presentation, you make reference to the government's impact analysis study on the national health insurance policy, and you state that your analysis has clear flaws, reflects intellectual honesty, and unfounded assertions. Could you please provide examples of the flaws in the impact analysis study? In presentation by other stakeholders, concerns have been raised on the constitutionality of the proposed fund. This was not an aspect addressed in your presentation. What is your what are your views on the constitutionality of the vote? And I need to come to my own questions. Mr. Duganaka, I am quite surprised at the manner in which you're presenting what you are presenting. We have taken a decision as a portfolio committee that you do not refer to political party when we talk about uh, the NHI vote, and then we do work as a political uh, portfolio committee on the health. But throughout, your reference is to the ANC and the flaws of the ANC, yet a very important bill, such as the one that we are considering now, where we're looking at quality healthcare, access to quality healthcare for all South Africans, it is still an opportunity for you to want to separate us. And the separation is so clear in your not supporting the vote. Those who have access and those who don't have access. So when I say this to you, it is, it is really with a sad heart. And then secondly, you try to usurp my responsibilities of my meeting by saying to the members to mute the microphone. And you wouldn't even know whether those were the members or not whose microphones were not muted. So I think as South Africans, we need to get together around what is important for us in terms of the policies required to provide to all of the people of South Africa. And your, I have to say to you that your tone was really something that I didn't really like. And I've never said, said this before to anybody. But today I am saying it to you, that... Uh, I think really we need to try to breach these things and look at the policy because that once that you say this clause or this section of this bill is not appropriate in the following sense. It was all about why, the, uh, why from your view, um, the NHI bill is not acceptable. But it was just speaking in general and not, and not speaking to the crux of the matter. Uh, and, and, and I wanted to really raised uh, this with you uh, today from having heard your presentation. Now, to bring that in context of what I was saying, when one speaks to the objects of the bill, which are based on Section 27.2 of the Bill of Rights, which states that the state must take a reasonable legislative and other measures within its available resources to achieve progressive realization of the right of access to healthcare services. My question to you is, why does the Forum believe that, um, that they should take responsibility for improving healthcare services on African team that your government should not be doing it? Or rather, who should be the, 
doing that. And then um, I have a very long question uh, for you. You said that the NHI bill lacks information on the funding flows. Does this mean that you've not read Chapter 10, Clause 48 and 49 of the bill? So yeah, I'm actually bringing you to the bill, which I was actually hoping you'd be speaking about. Have you not read the memorandum of the object? It states that the fund will be financed in various interrelated phases and determined in consultation with National Treasury. Now you're not familiar, are you familiar with the cost estimates within the bill that are included in the memorandum? This costing exercise includes actuarial costing models commissioned by the National Treasury. Do you not agree with the maybe with the methodology assumptions and cost estimates? Have you undertaken your own costing exercise? If so, please share your report with us outlining your costing methodology and the assumptions that you have used. Please bear in mind that this, this is not just a simple exercise of taking prescribed minimum benefits expenditure data and multiplying it by an estimate of the population to be covered. I would also like for you to consider the health market's inquiry findings on unexplained increases in utilization and PMD expenditure with a strong focus on supply and demand side inducement factors in your response. So with, the, with that said, uh, Mr. Devanapa, I would also um, to your, uh, speak to your submission that you've given them, given the reason why something about not moved towards universal health coverage for the implementation of the NHI. And it has been mentioned already by some members, I think Honorable Wilson, who spoke to the World Health Organization, guidance to all countries globally to implement policies that move them towards universal health coverage and towards achievement of a sustainable development goal 2030, including LPG3 on how do you think will South Africa realize this important intervention in our country? And why do you believe that UHC or Universal Health Coverage is being forced on South Africans? Are we, do we not constitute, being a, are we not a member of the World Health Organization having the uh, Dr. Tedros uh, visiting us the other day? And do we then not subscribe to the World Health Organization in terms of their principles, policies, and decisions. Thank you very much. Those are the questions uh, which are raised to you. You're very welcome to respond to them. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, first off, I'd just like to touch on your question uh, regarding my tone as well as uh, implying that, uh, well, saying that I usurped the chairperson's uh, role in the proceedings. Um, this is my first time presenting in front of the committee, so um, I do apologize for, for uh, perhaps uh, speaking when I shouldn't have, when you should, would have handled the situation. Um, I waited for you to, to intervene, and um, I just uh, spoke without waiting. For, uh, I probably should have waited a bit longer. So in that sense, um, I would like to apologize, but I do not think that there was anything wrong with my tone during the presentation, but I'll, I'll come back to that when I get to your question, Mr. Chairperson. Um, 
please, please bear with me. We have a, a lot of questions and um, uh, a lot of the questions I think um, I'm going to try and not repeat myself. So some of the questions I'll, I'll answer them uh, in, initially, I'll answer them extensively and then later I'll just summarize my answers. Uh, um, so the, the, the first question from, from, from Honorable Ishmael, basically along the lines of, do you think there should be more representation of private medical aids and um, is the bill constitutional? Um, yes, we support, we support this. We've, we think that there should be representation for private medical aids. There should be more cooperation. Um, in terms of the constitutionality of the bill, will it pass constitutional muster? I'm not a legal expert um, and we're still in the advisory phase here. Um, we, we're contributing to, to, the, to the committee, so it's, it's not a legal matter yet, but um, I have spoken to some legal experts and, and uh, we are ready to challenge this in court as well. We do not think, uh, I, I'm not a legal expert, but we do not think it will pass constitutional muster. Um, now, the second part of the question, again, this is a, a lot of the questions focus on this point, and I think it's... Uh, it's uh, quite unfair on Afri Forum. Uh, it's that does the bullable, uh, do we, uh, how will it affect the poorest of communities? Um, again, we, we, we have to reiterate this fact that when you look at the government's track record um, with regards to the, the management of, healthcare sec of the healthcare sector and the systemic corruption, look at the, the looting of the COVID-19 fund where the poorest of poor people were affected most severely and the government's failure to maintain current infrastructure. Uh, this is simply something that um, the government has failed to, to provide to poor people. The government has failed to provide quality healthcare to poor South Africans. And unfortunately, and this is the, this is the, the, the crux of the matter, the NHI bill is unaffordable. It is simply unaffordable and it cannot be forced on the already overburdened taxpayer Unfortunately, the, the two, like I said in my presentation, 25% of the of the country uh, of the country's taxpayers pay 80% of all income tax. Uh, now, getting on to uh, furthermore, um, I mean, just this is this. Uh, so the fact that the bill is, under, is unaffordable already renders all other arguments academic, but uh, it will also bring about mass immigration of healthcare professionals, which I mentioned in my presentation and will bring about the collapse of the private medical sector. So these are all factors that will severely be, um, will be, actually, will be detrimental to poor South Africans, much worse than, than the current already failing system, which uh, it has to be said is due to governance. Now, onto the second question from Honorable Gela. Um, again, uh, along the lines of, uh, do we want people to have access to equal health uh, services? Um, will NH, uh, the, the honourable member mentioned that NHI will ensure that people uh, achieve equal access? That was the honourable member's argument. And um, uh, there was a question about, is the ANC succeeding in the healthcare sector? Well, it was implied by the honourable member. Um, now, also the member, so let me just answer the first question. There's also second questions. Uh, of course, again, Afri Forum wants equal access. To, uh, we, we want access to quality healthcare for all South Africans. But the NHI is the completely wrong way of going about achieving this. Uh, NHI will basically it will, it will be the fact that it will be equitable healthcare in the sense that it will be poor quality health, health access for all South Africans. It will eliminate the private medical sector. Now, 
second part of that question from Honorable Gela is um, the NHI model. Uh, I mean, the National Health Service model from, from the UK. Uh, I would like to reject that proposition because there's no way that the UK can be compared to South Africa. South Africa is already spending much more than comparable countries on uh, in, in its GDP bracket on healthcare, and it's being um, uh, we have we have much worse outcomes, significantly worse outcomes than other countries in our GDP bracket. Um, now, um, again, the question was around, do we want the same for all South Africans? I think we've established we want all South Africans to have access to high quality health care. But the NHI bill is not the way of achieving this. Um, it will be mismanaged. There will be systemic corruption. The, the current system is already failing. It will be unaffordable. Um, will lead to mass immigration and the collapse of the private medical sector. All of these factors um, are, would be absolutely detrimental to, to all South Africans, and uh, we want quality health care for all South Africans. Now, on to the third question, Honorable Tsilitsi. Uh, he mentioned um, that Afroforum, uh, there's only a few people who oppose this law, um, that, that's definitely not true. There are significant amounts of people who oppose this, who oppose this, um, this bill, the proposed legislation. Um, second part of the question: Does Afri Forum believe in social solidarity? Uh, it depends on what you what you mean by social solidarity. We agree that all South Africans, uh, in, in, the, in the, especially in the sense of the National Health Insurance Bill, all South Africans should have access to to quality healthcare, not just um, well the, the the Constitution guarantees access to healthcare 27.2 of the constitution, but we, we believe that all South Africans should have access to quality healthcare. But the way of achieving this uh, is, is by further expanding the, the private medical sector, um, dry, allowing competition in the private medical sector, and thereby driving prices down. And then, uh, in addition to this, also uh, solving the, the governance issues that we have in this country, which are um, an actual fact um, that are causing the the severe problems in the healthcare system. And then in the long term, once we've once we've sorted out these issues, then we can think about the compulsory private medical um, aid to improve universal access to quality healthcare. Now, um, again, onto the question of a, of a racially divided system, um, nationalization. Uh, there's a second part of the question that nationalization do we think, uh, what do we think about nationalization? Is it a myth? Uh, and the, the third part of the question, does South Africa want to see South Africans divided with regard to healthcare? Certainly not. Um, we have to mention that all South Africans are, it's not just, it's not a racial situation. All South Africans are covered by private medical aids and the destruction of these private medical aids will be detrimental to South Africans of all races. Um, now I'm going to go on to... Honorable Clark, fourth question. Um, this question especially pertains to the fact that uh, to the first part of the question, uh, whether the, the NHI bill is politically motivated. Uh, we, in our presentation, argue that it is indeed politically motivated since um, it's a way of garnering votes from poor South Africans who are desperate for, for, for quality health care. But the, the, the reason um, that they, they don't have access to quality health care is in fact, because of the government's failure. So um, 
we do believe it's politically motivated, but the consequences of implementing this bill will be absolutely detrimental to all South Africans. Uh, now, um, the second part of the question, COVID-19, um, did it show that the, the NHI was necessary or not? And uh, no feedbacks on, on, on pilot projects, uh, uh, the underspending and uh, grants not being spent on what they intended for. Uh, this exactly connects to our to our uh, previous to the to the presentation the mismanagement uh, of the current healthcare system and the fact that the the national health insurance bill wasn't costed properly. So, uh, in a, especially COVID nineteen coming to that point, uh, COVID nineteen was was managed terribly by the government by the government, especially uh, public public healthcare, and this shows that. Uh, this is not the way to move forward. Public healthcare is uh, uh, already suffering. Uh, the the COVID nineteen relief fund was looted, which is a terrible, uh, terrible, terrible incident, and was very, very. It affected the the, the poorest of South Africans the most. So um, now, I think I'll move on to number five, the fifth question from Honourable Sukhatsa. Um Again, the question was, is uh, NHI politically motivated? Yes, we've stated that we believe it's politically motivated. Um, and do not want to address equality. We, we do want to address, uh, we do want people to have equal access to quality healthcare, but uh, NHI will destroy the, the current, uh, the private sector. It was, it's unaffordable and it will lead to everyone having equal access to poor quality healthcare. Um, uh, let's go to the, the further part of his question, uh, the honourable member's question. Um, terror, yeah, some some negative outcomes of the, the private uh, the private sector. Yes, of course, there are some um, reforms needed, even in the private medical medical aid sector. Um, it's terrible that some people had to sell, sell their homes to to fund. Um, Healthcare that was that wasn't covered by private medical aid schemes, but the the best way of, of doing this of, of improving is not by completely destroying the current system we have um, and eliminating private medical aids, but rather um, um, having private medical aids compete in a more competitive market, and then having the free market drive down prices and improve coverage for users and ensure the best cost efficiency for users. Um, Burden of disease, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely that is uh, the fact that, that the burden of disease is higher in the, in the public sector, that's a fact, than in, in private sector. Um, but that is, again, coming back to my original original point is that it's due to government failure and uh, uh, the current problem is, is absolutely um, a problem of governance, uh, unfortunately, and it's something that, that we need to address first. We need to how do we solve this? We need to get the corrupt people out of the government and that's the best way of beginning. And then we can start uh, expanding private medical aid. And then in the long term, once we've sorted out all these problems, then we can move towards uh, a compulsory private medical aid. But the centralized state fund, which would be susceptible to looting, mismanagement, inefficiency, is not the way to go. I reiterate this. Um, uh, now I'm going to move on to Honourable Imam's uh, question. Um, do I do does Afriforum think that every human being is valuable in South Africa, regardless of race? 
I, I think this is uh, something that doesn't that we don't even need to answer. Of course, we believe that every human being is valuable in South Africa. Uh, it's a bit of a I don't, I don't really agree with with that question. I mean, it's 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 of course we we believe that. I think it's a bit of a loaded question, to be honest. Um, and then it was about my own personal experience. Um, I don't think we should we should um, we should speak about our own personal experiences. We need to talk about the systemic problem and 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 what is actually going to 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 occur for most South Africans if this bill is actually implemented. So um, then it was the questions were along the lines of. Um, uh, uh, how how uh, what are the who benefits from medical aid and um, should governments work with business? I mean the current system is already in place so that so that um, uh, a lot of South Africans pay double taxes so they pay into the system for for public health care but they also benefit from private health care uh, they pay extra I mean double for for private health care so in this case um, of course medical aids are run at profit but it's 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 through the free market. And it's something that, of course, can be improved further and reformed. But scrapping the current system is not the way to progress. Now, on to Honorable Wilson's question. Um, with the, the, the current NHI in its current form, is, would, would deprive foreign, deny foreign nationals uh, or illegal uh, re, uh, residents in South Africa of coverage? Um, will it meet constitutional muster? Um, Again, I'm not, I'm not a legal expert. I'm not employed in a legal capacity at Afri Forum, but uh, I've spoken and uh, from, our initial, from our initial conversations, we do not believe it will pass constitutional muster. Uh, uh, let me just see. Yeah, then it was a, then it was a very important point that um, the, the, the government has already failed poor South Africans through its um, healthcare system. It's plagued by systemic corruption, um, Again, facilities aren't maintained. The current current healthcare infrastructure isn't maintained, so a larger fund would be an even bigger disaster. Uh, again, in terms of unaffordability, uh, the, the proposition for NHI is unaffordable. Uh, will cause bring about mass immigration. That's something that that wasn't really touched on in in the questions of the members. The the fact that it will lead to to mass immigration, and that's also something that Honourable Wilson touched on. That um, it will. It will. Uh, she asked, uh, "How will it affect our, our, our specialized medical services and our specialists?" And it will cause a mass immigration of those very specialists, and it will greatly decrease our healthcare outcomes and, and cause a collapse of the entire health system. So, I think I'll move on to Honourable Timbukwayo's uh, questions. Um, is there no positive to NHI? Um, and then, uh, in our opinion, we reject the bill in its entirety. We do not believe a centralized fund where the government becomes the sole purchaser driving competition out of the marketplace will have any positive effects on, on, national, on, on the health uh, system in South Africa. In fact, we believe it will lead to the total collapse of the health system. It's very important that uh, this point is being, uh, that, 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 that you have to reiterate this point. And uh, intellectual dishonesty, this, this uh, we we did publish a report. Uh, uh, we can we can um, we can have a look at it uh, on our website. It's uh, we analysed the the impact analysis uh, 
um, study, and we found uh, our findings are available. Um, honorable members are free to go and look at it, or um, it's on our website and it's published by Afri Forum. There's no, uh, there's no time for me to get into that um, in any more detail, but you can look at the report we published uh, on our website. Um, Now again, uh, on to Honorable Klingwa's question. Um, what are views on constitutionality? Uh, it's uh, definitely our view that uh, the, uh, the bill, again, like I mentioned, I think I, I answered that question already. Um, then on to Dr. Jacob's question, the final question. Uh, first mention I shouldn't refer to political parties. Um, I, I, I referred to I, I refer to the government, and the government is, 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 is being led by a political party. Uh, if I wasn't aware of the fact that I shouldn't, shouldn't use the words ANC, I'm not sure if that's the protocol. Um, but I, I, I henceforth, I refer to the government and the government's failing uh, to provide healthcare service. Now, uh, let me move on to some of your questions. Um, did we did we did we comment on certain clauses in the in the bill? Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't comment on certain clauses. We reject the bill in its entirety. Um, the, the the again due to the the, the reasons I've listed um, comprehensively in this presentation, we reject the bill in its entirety. Uh, again, with the costing, we did we did comment on on the cost costing of the bill. We we've been part of the process from the beginning and. Um, uh, we've we found it to be simply unaffordable. Um, so how do you how do you think that South Africa should, should realize the goal of providing universal health care? Again, it's simple. We need to solve the governance issue. We need to reform the current system that isn't working. And the way to do that is by getting the corrupt uh, the corrupt management officials out of the system, having all of our healthcare departments and national healthcare departments receiving clean audits. And then we can think about expanding the private sector even further, um, allowing more private medical aids to gain access to the market, um, to drive com competition and bring prices down for users. That is the best way of ensuring quality healthcare for South Africans. And in the long term, moving towards uh, when all these problems have been solved and, and, and greater competition uh, is achieved in the, in the free market, then we can move towards implementing a system of um, moving towards mandatory private medical aid. Um, I think this basically touches on all of the questions and I thank you honorable members for your time and listening to Afri Forum and uh, thank you very much. Thank you Mr. Dubinath and Afri Forum for coming to present here today and for all questions. I still want to check the moment to talk to Dan, which is good. We are trying to make up time as we go along today, since I had stated in the beginning that we still need to catch some for the city. Any last concluding remarks from you, Mr. Yes, thank you, Chairperson. Um, NHI is unaffordable. It would be prone to corruption and mismanagement. Like everything else the government touches, it would cause a mass immigration of health workers and the destruction of the private medical sector. This would bring about a collapse of the entire health system in South Africa and cause untold misery for members of the public. Afri Forum calls for the bill to be retracted. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honorable 
uh, Gela and Ismail I, I completed now with Ashley Forum. If it has to do with Ashley Forum, you can uh, lower your hands and I will move straight on to Prasadji. If not, you can indicate. Okay. Um, on the message that I raised with you on, on, on WhatsApp, um, it's got nothing to do with Ashley Forum. But before we go on to Kosercho, please, if I could highlight and escalate this matter to you. Um, Trey, you know, previously it was raised uh, by one of our members on the on the portfolio committee to ask you what has happened or can we get some uh, conclusion or some feedback on the on the submission submitted to Parliament, you know, with the fire and uh, we don't know what has been lost and what has not been lost. Uh, I know you said you're going to be inquiring and coming back to us. I think it's important that we get... Uh, Response on that, please, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Ismail. I, yes, I must say, I don't have that answer for you yet. And uh, I will make every effort now to get that for you um, as we are possible. If I can revert to you. Thank you. We are now, Honorable Members, going to welcome the representatives from the SATU. I see uh, Matthew Parks is on the platform. We will, uh, you're very welcome, uh, Mr. Matthew Parks, and uh, whoever else is, uh, will be presenting or will be representing Kosatu today at its NHI public hearing. You can please introduce yourselves to yourself and your other members and uh, go straight to your presentation. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, no, thanks, uh, thanks very much, uh, Honourable Chair. And, yeah, good morning to Honourable Members and to colleagues and comrades. Uh, my name is Matthew Parks from the Congress of South African Trade Unions. I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Boitamela Molita, as well. Um, yes, we're quite pleased to be here and to raise Kosata's views um, on the National Health Insurance Bill. I'll just upload our presentation quickly. Um, Yeah, so I think, Commissioner, um, I'll just jump straight into it. Um, let me say, first of all, um, as COSATU and our affiliate unions, um, we support the National Health Insurance Bill. I think the fact that we're having this discussion today and just listening to the previous discussions, this is not about government's failure or successes. It's also about the private sector's failures to provide health care. Uh, all our members might recall when the former President Tabambeki spoke about 20 years ago in Parliament, he said that uh, in South Africa, we have two nations and he was lambasted for it. But if you look at the healthcare sector right now, public, which supports about 84% of our population, overstretched, struggling to provide quality healthcare to largely African and colored women, poor people, um, only consuming about half of the, what we spend on health, uh, the expenditure on healthcare versus the private sector healthcare industry, which only caters for about 16% of the population, but consumes an equal amount of money, largely caters for the wealthy or those who are fortunate enough to have medical aid. So it really does speak to two nations. And this, this, what we have right now is also a failure of the healthcare sector as well, but it's simply unsustainable. Uh, Chair, let me just say, so as COSATU, we have nearly two, 2 million members who work across all sectors of the economy. Uh, these include nurses and doctors, paramedics. It includes workers who are fortunate to have medical aid, like police officers, teachers, public servants. Uh, it includes many workers who cannot, simply cannot afford 
medical aid in the retail sector and the agricultural sector, construction industry and so forth. Um, we have workers who are having medical aid but struggle to afford the payments. So as COSATU, we do welcome the National Health Insurance Bill. It's a progressive, it's necessary, it's a decisive response. Um, it's in line with COSATU's long-standing call for affordable and quality health care for all. And we urge uh, honourable members to ensure its speedy passage by this parliament. Uh, we believe it will help to provide quality health care to over 50 million South Africans who are struggling. Uh, we think it will help to ease the burden on the 8 million workers who are battling to pay for exorbitant medical aid premiums. We think also, Kermit Chair, it will help to address one of the key legacies of apartheid in terms of inequality. So, Chair, we think that our current healthcare systems uh, need to be overhauled. Our financing arrangements, the management, the ability to deliver quality healthcare services, they have to be fixed. Um, our public healthcare, yes, it is dysfunctional and often offers poor quality services. We all know the stories. We also have to say, Comrade Chair, Honorable Chair, sorry, that access to quality healthcare is, frankly, is dependent upon one's geographic location. Do you live in the city? One's race? Uh, your employment status, your income, your gender. Um, there's a real unequal distribution of health expenditure and a deteriorating state of public health care requires us to, to build an NHI. We might also recall not so long ago there was a health market inqu inquiry which confirmed the inequalities of our healthcare systems and the inherent flaws of commercializing healthcare, of reducing it to a commodity where profit is put above the lives of ordinary people. We think, Chair, this is really a moment for us as a nation um, that we must show courage to make the resources available, <clears throat> to build and develop the institutions and the technical capacity to confront our concurrent epidemics, be it poverty-related diseases, infectious diseases, HIV, AIDS, and TB, uh, maternal child care, child deaths, um, non-communicable diseases, violence, and injuries. Um, and as Kosato, we have long championed an NHI, which we believe will help to resolve our health inequalities. We don't think we should believe the doom and gloom projections. We think they are driven by vested interests, often at, at the instigation of the healthcare industry, which has placed excessive profits and greed above taking care of, uh, of, of the public at large. So we do have to, to be frank and honest about the state of our public healthcare sector. Um, it faces real challenges of poor quality and inequitable access to health services. Um, some of these are because of poor governance, inadequate management capacity, aging administrative systems, inequitable funding, human resources shortages, um, for example, nurses, etc. Um, inadequate and poorly maintained infrastructure and equipment, but also fragmented information systems and wastage. But having said that, Chair, we must not think that everything is perfect in the private sector. Um, it has different types of problems, but they're equally significant. Um, the private sector is marked by unaffordable prices, the maldistribution of providers and facilities, over-servicing, perverse incentives, and a lack of accountability, as you often see from medical aid recipients' complaints. So, Chair, in terms of the, the bill, we support the purpose and application of the, of the Act. Uh, we believe it seeks to ensure equitable and fair distribution and use of healthcare services. Uh, we do believe, and we have one proposed amendment to it, that the Act's purpose should be strengthened to include primary health care, which we believe is the foundation of the NHI. It will be the heart of its financial sustainability, and it will help ensure success in relation to the health objectives. Uh, bringing health care as close as possible to where people live and work uh, constitutes a foundation for an inclusive health care system. 
In terms of the, the population coverage in the bill, we support the bill scope of providing you know, for universal health population coverage. Um, basically, in essence, for all persons legally resident in South Africa and emergency care for undocumented migrants. We think that does provide the correct balance uh, between the values of the constitutions, adherence to South Africa's laws, but also international commitments and financial sustainability. And we do appreciate it's a juggling act. Chair, on the rights of uh, access to healthcare services and the rights of users, um, I think, Chair, as you said earlier, Section 27 of the Constitution is quite clear. Um, this is a constitutional matter, and everybody has the right to have access to healthcare services, including reproductive healthcare. We support the provisions in the bill which speak to this, as well as Section 6.0, which distinguish between essential and luxury or cosmetic healthcare services. We think distinguishing between these will help provide relief to workers who cannot afford high premiums, which are often used to subsidize subsi yeah, subsidize cosmetic and luxury services provided by, by medical aid schemes and a subsequent annual above inflation increases. So on healthcare service coverage, we also support the provisions for healthcare service coverage, which require a user to first access healthcare services at a primary healthcare level as the entry point into the system. Um, secondly, to adhere to referral pathways prescribed um, for healthcare, by healthcare service providers or establishments. And then thirdly, if, not, if they don't do so, they will not be entitled to healthcare services purchased by the fund. We think that's a correct way, and we have to, to adjust our behavior in that regard. And for example, we can look at positive international examples in that um, from Cuba, from Sweden, Norway, etc. Chair, we also want to welcome the reaffirmation of the primary health care um, as a critical component of the NHI. It's a foundation for, this, this, for, for it. We believe that primary health care reengineering and building a strong district health system is critical to reorientating our health system away from the presently dominant and financially unsustainable hospice-centric and curative health care approach. In terms of the establishment of the fund, we support its establishment. Uh, we believe it should be a single fund to leverage monopoly power through strategic pur purchasing of services and contracting arrangements. And this will really help to save costs through economy of skills. And we can see other examples of this, for example, when government looked at purchasing textbooks. Um, it can save significant funds for everybody. Chair, on the establishment of the fund, I mean, whilst the NHI fund is to be fully functional um, during the last phase of implementation, um, we believe that unless government actually plans ahead and begins the process of implementation, um, there could be serious delays, and this would, could undermine the NHI's credibility. We do appreciate this incremental process. But <coughs> um, the NHI's establishment is a accompanying public entity. The specialized skill, technical skills and infrastructure will require adequate time to be built and to be fully functional. And hence, we've been awarded at times when we've seen the budgets tabled by government there's not been a sufficient sufficient resourcing of the of this process, but I hope that would be addressed in future budgets. Chair, on the functions of the of the fund, I mean, we would want to support uh, those providing the bill, in particular Section 101G, which states that the fund must determine payment rates annually for healthcare service providers, um, health establishments, and suppliers. I think this is really fundamentally critical to protecting um, the NHI and the public. This will help to ensure the NHI is not vulnerable to exorbitant prices, um, above inflation medical cost increases, and it will help, we believe, to ensure South Africa progressively realizes the constitutional right to access to quality healthcare 
and through a sustainable, equitable, and efficient public funding to purchase healthcare services and products. Um, currently, we all know that healthcare inflation is far above the CPI, and often is simply because of monopoly power. Um, so in terms of the board of the fund, we uh, support its establishment. Uh, we think it's going to be critical to protect the NHI from unethical and illegal activities. Um, Chair, the, the bill speaks to for the board to have appropriate technical expertise and skills and knowledge, um, experience in healthcare service financing, health economics, public health planning, monitoring, and evaluation law, actuarial sciences, information technology and communication. And those are all fine. But there's a small distinguishing. The, the white paper on, on the NHI called for the board to include those expertise and skills, but also specifically mentioned labor as well. And again, Chair, I think just to mention, this, you know, referring to some of the previous discussions in this committee, um, there is a major, one of the major concerns, I think, of everybody, irrespective of political party, is to protect the NHI, um, is to ensure the state has the capacity to manage the NHI fund and to protect it from any illegal activities. So a proposal there, Chair, well, let me say first, we, we do welcome, as Kosato, the inclusion of organized labor in the advisory committees established by the minister in the bill. Um, for healthcare benefits pricing, as well as the stakeholder advisory committee. <clears throat> but we do want to make a proposal that on the board itself, there should be provision for organized labor, as well as other key stakeholders. We think this will just help to strengthen the good governance systems, um, accountability, transparency, and so forth. In terms of the, the aspects around the CO, um, we welcome the pro provisions providing for the point of the CO. But we were a little bit confused and unsure about Section 20, which proposes two units which essentially look at combating corruption. Um, Section 20.2e states the CEO will be responsible to establish an investigating unit within the National Office of the Fund. Um, and then just shortly after that, Section 23i states the CEO must also establish a risk and fraud prevention investigation unit. Um, we're not sure what is the difference on these two functions. Um, if there's no fundamental difference, they would propose that they simply be combined. Or section 23i be deleted if it's a duplication. But if there's a difference, and perhaps we just need to clarify more clearly the different roles and mandates. So just in terms of the roles of the, the departments and provinces, which we support the provisions for the role of provinces, uh, we believe as a trade union federation, this will help to ensure the job security of health workers in the provincial departments. Um, we also want to say as Kosato, we believe in the centrality of patients and health workers as a key foundation for the NHI. Um, the centralization of the NHI fund and procurement health products under it should not cause job losses for those workers currently performing these functions in provinces. And if there are workers whose jobs might be displaced by the centralization of the fund, they should be absorbed, they must be absorbed in other areas of the NHI fund. Share the role of medical aid schemes. We support that under the NHI medical aid schemes offer complementary services not covered by the fund. We must really state um, that rampant medical aid increases have significantly eroded workers' wages and the ability to care for the families. Medical aid increases far outstrip inflation every year. Um, this does undermine collective bargaining. It undermines the right to health um, because it is compromised by large co uh, co-payment requirements. And these, again, uh, pickpocket workers of the small wages. The high monthly payments for medical schemes do not sustain health needs of users for much of the year, and they really exacerbate quality, access to quality health care. We all know about medical aid members whose 
day-to-day benefits are exhausted by Easter if they have children. Chair, we do believe that this is a result of the overfinancing of private health uh, sector. Um, and we simply, as a nation, cannot achieve equal access to health care if finance is dominated by the private sector and profit is at the heart of it. Uh, private sector finance is not guided by the goals of social equity or ensuring increased access to health. It's about profit. Um, so this financing, we believe, has made it difficult for the state to execute its constitutional obligation to provide affordable and quality health care. So we want to speak a little bit about the role of bargaining council units, uh, clinics. Um, Section 37.1 provides for contracting units to manage the provision of primary health care services. Uh, for example, the prevention, the promotion, curative, rehabilitative, ambulatory, home-based care and community care. Um, there'd be many trade union victories and bargaining councils where we have established workplace clinics. Um, these have helped to provide accessible and quality primary health care for workers and even for the families. We've seen, for example, in COVID-19, how the clothing industry through SACTA, the clothing workers union, was able to help roll out the vaccine uh, campaign to thousands of clothing and textile workers and to the families in a supportive role to government. So we think these bargaining council clinics can provide role models for primary health care at workplaces and communities. So, Chair, the bill speaks to strengthening the primary health care and for high quality and effective primary health care service and the foundation for the NHI. Um, these services will be population orientated with extensive use of community-based services in addition to PHC facilities. So we'll simply call as COSAT for bargaining council clinics to be included in this PHC facilities network. Um, provided for by the NHI and to be coordinated through the contracting units for primary health care. And they can really be an integral, integral partner of the district health services. So on the financial matters, we uh, believe that the NHI must be funded through a variety of mechanisms. One is general revenue, that's existing uh, public health care expenditure. We think there's a need for some taxes on high-earning self-employed individuals, um, a payroll linked progressive contribution tax, tax and high earning individual taxpayers and contributions by employers. Uh, we would want to say there should be no increase to VAT, which is a regressive tax, which is the poor disproportionately. Uh, we would want to see an end to co-payments uh, because people have already, whatever workers have already paid through the employee taxes. Um, and of course, we, I think there's a general agreement that tax subsidies to medical aid scheme members would, would come to an end uh, as we would move away from that, that regime. So we think the NHIFI must be publicly funded and administered with no outsourcing of administration. Chair, just in terms of general taxation, we think, yes, so the general national revenue to play or the fiscal to play a key role, but additional funding mechanisms will be needed. Um, and of course, critical to increasing tax revenue is to grow in the economy. So companies can pay company tax or workers can pay income tax, VAT, et cetera. And of course, we recognize there are many competing and pressing demands on the fiscus. Uh, but this is a health is a, is an essential one. Um, there's nothing greater than life. So we think Chair, there will be a need to expand the tax tax net and to make sure to introduce uh, more progressive uh, new taxes targeted for the wealthy. Chair, on the payroll taxes, um, we think well, we we support the requirement for mandatory enrollment and mandatory prepayment arrangements. Um, there should be a payroll tax levied on employers. We might need to have some consideration for exemptions or. Uh, easier regime <clears throat> for SMEs where needed, not to be abused. But I think many employers already are contributing to the employees' premiums. So a shift to a payroll tax, we don't believe would be an additional burden, but merely a placement of one cost with another cost. 
Um, but we do believe it's in the interest of employers to invest in the health of their workers because this boosts uh, productivity levels. Chair, on a surcharge on taxable income or on NHI tax, uh, we will propose a progressive earmark tax um, levy not only on wages of the wealthy, but also on their income from financial assets and investments. This must be on a sliding scale to ensure equitable contributions and social solidarity. Uh, this, will, we believe, will have the benefit of being more broad-based, as it will include many workers who currently do not have health insurance. It will include wealthy individuals who are, not, who are neither employees nor employers, and it will also include the self-employed in proportion to their ability to, to contribute. So we think there is a need for some discussion, obviously led by, by SARS and et cetera and Treasury, on possible wealth taxes on inheritance and estate duties, as well as luxury imports, um, a tax on currency transaction, financial transactions, et cetera. So Chair, just coming to the conclusion, hope I didn't take too long. I think in essence, as Kosato and our affiliates, we do know some affiliates have already come, Denosa, Nahau, Saktu, and so forth. Uh, but we want to conclude by restating Kosato's support for the NHI bill. Um, we also just want to highlight some of our proposed strengthening of the bill in terms of its design. Um, one is to include in the the objectives the primary healthcare approach as envisaged by the Act. Uh, we believe it's the anchor for the NHI and at the heart of its financial sustainability and its health objectives. Um, in terms of the NHI board, we think there's a need for broader representation of key stakeholders as envisaged by the NHI white paper. And this should specifically include organized labor. We think this will help, this will be key to protect the NHI from any abuses in, in future. So we do think the bill is not completely clear on the two fraud and investigating units established by the CEO, and either there needs to be some clarification or if it's a duplication to simply delete one. Um, Chair, we also want to state as a Fed Trade Union Federation that the centralization of the fund and the health supply procurement must not result in job losses for healthcare workers in provinces. And if there's any jobs at risk, they need to be absorbed in other functions of the NHI. So lastly, Chair, I think just to state our call for the inclusion of bargaining council clinics in the primary healthcare facilities network. Um, they can really they can be contracted by the fund and be an integral part of the PhD service delivery platforms and will really help to support in making a comprehensive, promotive, preventive, curative, rehabilitative services accessible to all, um, especially at the workplace. And then of course, they'll be coordinated through the contracting units of, of, for primary healthcare. And of course, lastly, Chair, we think there is a need for some ad additional sources of funding, such as wealth taxes, taxes and financial transactions, et cetera. Um, so that's our presentation in a nutshell, Chair. Um, yeah, and I think lastly, just to say, Chair, look, we, we support the NHI bill. It's long overdue. I think we must also ask ourselves, is it affordable to continue this trajectory where 84% of the country does not have access to quality health care? Um, the market is not a solution to it because these workers are not going to afford medical aids in our lifetime. So in essence, we'll be condemning them to death for diseases that are really preventable. And we really need to, to look at a radical opportunity to ensure we are a much more equal society that cares for everybody. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much, Comrade Chair, on board Chair members, and yeah, we'll be happy to, to answer any questions. Thanks, Chair. Thank you very much, Mr. Park, from Kosatu uh, for that uh, presentation. I have a number of honorable members who want to raise some uh, questions with you. Honorable Gela, Ismail, Clark, Wilson, Harvard, Sukacha, Munyai, 
I'm going to repeat. Gela, Ismail, Clark, Wilson, Albert, Sukacha, Munyai. Any other members, please shout on the platform if you still want to raise questions. In that order, honorable members, thank you. Thank you, uh, Chaperson. Uh, let me welcome the presentation uh, from COSATU and also uh, welcome the support of COSATU for NHI to be implemented. Uh, you have requested that there should be a broader representation uh, by key stakeholders on the NHI fund board. Uh, my question, uh, is this a request over and above the participation of unions and civil society in the stakeholders uh, advisory committee as outlined in section 27 of the bill? My second question, can you please clarify your recommendation with regard to co-payments? You have stated that there must be no uh, co-payment as those who can afford to pay will have paid a true employee uh, taxes. The NHI white paper states uh, that NHI cardholders will not be expected to make any out-of-pocket payments such as uh, co-payments and user fees at the point of healthcare delivery uh, subject to these uh, cardholders following this uh, treatment care pathways and the referral to higher level of care. Are you recommending that the co-payment be abolished uh, even if the members bypass the treatment care pathway? Thank you, Chair. Um, good morning, and thank you for your presentation. I just have a few questions. My first question, your presentation mentions that a single purchaser and single buyer model ensures that the fund is not vulnerable to exorbitant prices and above inflation cost increases. ...is the flaws in the implementation of our procurement laws. Now, according to the PFMA and the National Treasury instruction to date, departments are meant to advertise tenders with details such as price, company name, award dates, etc. In addition, the PFMA highlights that price is the first indicator that should be considered when awarding tenders. Now, we've already seen clearly in the SIU report, tenders were awarded to companies that overcharged for products or services. Considering the flaws in implementing procurement rules and regulations, how do you actually foresee this as lowering prices? My second question, how is the fund protected from ANC cadres seeking to fill their own pockets as we have seen in the digital vibe scandal? What suggestions can you provide to protect the fund from political interference? My third question, do you consider the bill to be constitutionally aligned? Would you view the bill as it stands to be potentially xenophobic in its type of inclusion or exclusion of asylum seekers and or refugees? Does Kosato not feel that the freedom of choice has been infringed by the bill? 
My fourth question. We know that presently many doctors and nurses are waiting to be placed. Considering that the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently can't manage to even monitor 20% of our public health care facilities. We know under the NHI, all health care facilities will not reach certain compliance requirements. This would lead to many facilities not being allowed to operate. Won't this really impact service delivery to the country? Also, won't it negatively impact on jobs of these healthcare workers? Do you feel that the bill will stable innovation in the healthcare system? And under the NHI, most of our professional healthcare workers will leave the country. My last question, while we understand that the private healthcare sector may not be 1,000% or 100%, do you agree that the private sector is complementing the public sector, especially taking into consideration the failing infrastructure and shortage of staff at public healthcare facilities? You know, if we can just look at the COVID pandemic and how this was handled in the country. If it wasn't for the private sector, many more lives would have been lost. Would you not then consider or would you then not agree that we should first look at fixing infrastructure and addressing the placement of doctors and nurses, thus improving the healthcare system before even implementing the NHI? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chairperson. And my first question, with the consultation you've held with your members in the health industry, do members or health, the healthcare workers generally support this bill? What are their major concerns? Kasatu is in support of the NHI fund. What challenges and risks do you foresee with the management of the fund? especially considering the $13.3 that has been mismanaged by a variety of departments across the country, as highlighted by the COVID corruption SIU report. Three, you mentioned your various recommendations to increase taxes to support the NHI. You compare South Africa to France. The success of France's NHI funding methods through taxes cannot be compared to South Africa. A brief Google search highlights that France has 40 million taxpayers within a 67 million population. South Africa, on the other hand, has a 22 million tax base with a 60 million population. Is this not a distortion? How can a small tax base support such a large population? Did you consider the possible negative effects on the currency transactions for international investments. I uh, thank you, Chair. Honorable Wilson. Thank you, Chairperson. Sorry, I'm just struggling with my system here. There we go. Um, good morning. Thank you, Mr. Park. Thank you for the presentation from Kasasu. I'm basically covered by previous questions. Um, I just have a, a couple of things that I would like to raise. So in the last 10 years and longer, we have seen a systematic collapse of the public health system in South Africa. In principle, any person in this country, regardless of where they come from, regardless of who they are, should be able to go or are allowed to go 
to any public health facility, whether it be a clinic or a hospital, to get health care at no cost. The fact remains is that at the moment, despite the fact that they're allowed to go to any health facility, which in itself is a form of universal health coverage, they are unable to access many because there are too few. And when they do get there, the quality of health care that they are afforded is, is next to nothing. Lack of resources, crumbling infrastructure, no medicines, etc. In light of this, and in light of the decline over the last 20 years, what would you say the cause of this decline in health is? Um, it, it, it shouldn't have happened, and yet it does, and, yet it, and it affects the, the majority of the, the poorest of the poor. Um, who is to blame for this, and what has created this problem? Um, that is my first question. Um, and in terms of medical aids, so you, you, your Kasatu represents the employed um, who are already paying taxes, and NHI is going to require yet a further tax. Given the light of the unemployment in this country, and it is steadily increasing as opposed to decreasing, how do you, your, your, your representatives, your members feel about this, and how is it going to affect those people going forward if we are going to get fewer and fewer people employed in this country, I thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. I just have one question. Can Kosatu elaborate further why they are not supportive of VAC as a source of revenue for the NHI? Thank you. I think, thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> Chairperson. Um, let me um, thank the presentation from from uh, Kosatu, and uh, I would like to have a few questions from uh, from Kosatu. The first one, Chair, uh, I really want to thank the presentation by Mr. Uh, Parks. It is very progressive and talks to the poor of this country. Here is my question, my first question, Chair. We have heard on this platform and from many other platforms when we are conducting these hearings, from those who are opposed to the bill in particular and the NHI principle in general. What we have heard them saying clearly include the presenter that, that was just before you from AfriForum, Afri that they will take government and this parliament to the constitutional court. Because according to them, this bill, when it becomes law, will not pass the constitutional master. Now, with all those threats of going to court to block this noble cause, the cause of ensuring that the poor of this country have access to quality and affordable health like them. In other words, like those that have got the haves, the rich people. What is your response and the response of the two million members that you represent? Considering that the two million people you are referring to do not even include other poor people who are voiceless 
and do not have anyone to talk on their behalf. What is Kosatu saying uh, to these threats? Then, Chairperson, my second question uh, to Kosatu will be, um, um, let me just check where is my documents now, um, will be, um, um, we note your support for the NHI and specifically the recognition of the benefits of economies of scale on the strategic purchasing. We have been told that the mono, uh, monopsy, monopsy power crowds out innovation. Now, my question is, what is your view on this? Please share with us your thoughts on the positive and negative side of uh, uh, monopsomy. Then my third question, we have uh, cautioned us that the NHI must not be vulnerable to exorbitant prices and above inflating medical cost increases from providers. The bill outlines the role of the Healthcare Benefits Pricing Committee, supported by or supporting the Benefits Advisory Committee and the Office of Health Products Procurement in healthcare pricing issues. Does this not address fully your concerns about tariff determination? Have you also read clause 41, which outlines how service providers will be remunerated to contain cost? Then my last question, Honorable Chairperson, um, uh, to Kosatu, from your presentation, Kosatu uh, has stated its unequivocal support for the NHI. Can Kosatu clarify how it is preparing its membership from migrating from the current two tiered dispensation of those on the medical aid coverage and those without medical aid coverage to the NHI? Thank you very much, Chairperson. My first question, Honorable Chair, is as follows. I think I've noted a presentation uh, by COSATU in support of the uh, NHI unequivocally. On COSATU, can COSATU clarify how it is preparing its membership from migrating? I think this, my colleague asked this question. I just want to really welcome the statement by COSATU presenter who argued that, open quote, by failing to implement NHI, we are condemning the workers to death uh, through the burden of communicable and uncommunicable disease, close quote. Uh, can the presenter clarify further? How does the COSATU address this uh, myth, myth of nationalization, myth of um, advancing universal health care coverage without 
without NHI. Uh, during the during the uh, the COVID nineteen, uh, the private sectors and public sectors were overwhelmed. To some degree, Honourable Chair, we have noticed that the private sectors are taking their patient to the public healthcare sectors. Like I'm saying, I must underline both private and pri- private and public sector hospitals were were overwhelmed. I want to understand as to um, what what and some of the workers were calling for massively work members of course that were calling for urgent implementation of the NHI. Uh, what is your view now as, a, as the presenter before Kosatu? And the last, last question I must ask, Omarabun Chair, it's as follows. Um, there are those that are calling for federalism in a unitary government state, which will demand constitutional amendment, that believe that uh, status quo must remain, uh, the the 400 billion, which, which, which is accounting to 8% to GDP, must remain in private sectors, hence private medical aid. And, and also most of the costs are going towards administrators, which is non-healthcare cost. What is your view about this uh, really inequality that is so huge? I think you have mentioned it, that 16% are receiving... Uh, are receiving the uh, most of the money, and yet the rest of the population excluded. Can you please expand on that, that regard? I want to establish uh, whether Kosatu uh, believe that. Uh, let me just go to my question again, Marabuche because I put in in my various notes okay so because it's very important because um Kosatu again um uh, raised the following issue that they want NHI to be done now how soon is now thank you thank you honorable members did I exclude anyone I think Honorable uh, Lengua, uh, no, she did not, would have posted. No, she did not post any question on, uh, on the subject. So, Mr. Parks, thank you very much also for your presentation again. Uh, we appreciate you coming to, to do this presentation. Now, I want to speak about two points. One is your concern about the primary healthcare approach, and the other one would be on the sections which you quoted would be the application sections 22, uh, subsection 2, uh, section 20, subsection 2, and section 20, subsection 3. So, in terms of the primary healthcare approach, I would assume that you Probably just emphasizing the importance of primary health care uh, within the context of the NHI goal and within the context of, uh, of the NHI. Because I am certain you'll be aware it's been mentioned over 35 times in the book. 
and that uh, there's a particular section that speaks to, to Section 525.5b, that the Benefits Advisory Committee must determine and review the healthcare service benefits and types of services to be reimbursed at each level of care from primary healthcare facilities and the district regional and tertiary hospitals. And then in terms of your understanding of the sections which I had mentioned earlier, and it'll be, it's, it's, it's important to having understood uh, your understanding uh, of, of these two sections. But I thought that my understanding was that there are two units here. One speaks mostly on the preventative measures, which uh, that unit must conduct in order to prevent uh, corruption and fraud. And the other one actually speaks about investigations to be done where there is existing, uh, where there are existing complaints, corruption and fraud. Do you think that, therefore, that one team would be able to do both the prevention work um, and then also to do all the investigative work that would be required uh, in terms of these, uh, these sections? Thank you very much. Those are all of the questions to you. Please continue to answer those. Okay. No, thank, thanks very much, Honorable uh, Chair and members. Um, yes, no, thanks for the questions. Um, so yeah, I think, so just to jump straight into it. Um, yeah, I think to, to Honorable Geller, I think just to appreciate the comments. Um, I think on the issue of the NHI board, so we do appreciate the, the provisions being made for organized labor and stakeholders in some of the committees dealing with pricing, stakeholders, etc. But we think that there's a need as well um, for labor and for the stakeholders to also be included on the NHI board, which plays a much uh, greater oversight and governance perspective. And I think it's useful, one chair, because the, to manage the issues of abuse or potential for abuse or corruption, of etc., as we, we've all seen, and I think all of us are opposed to. Um, but I think yeah, also, Chair, it's also in line with an NHI white paper call. So I think for us, it is quite a critical thing. Um, it's normally part of you know government's approach to, to key entities, boards, et cetera. We think it will help to build inclusivity, help to build transparency and accountability, and help for all stakeholders to take ownership of the NHI as well, because it won't just be simply a government entity, but it'll be an entity belonging to everybody in the country. Um, to the issue of, of co-payments, yes, uh, we would want to see co-payments being a thing of the past. Um, we think they are based upon the excessive charges uh, charged by providers. Um, we think it's also a moral application by the medical aids who dumped this bill on the, the medical aid members. Um, it bleeds workers of money they simply do not have. It often inhibits workers from going and getting the, the care they need because now they need to budget as well for co-payments. So it really is pickpocketing workers to, to satisfy the profits of a very elite industry. So we think that if workers are paying via payroll taxes through the employer, then they should have covered the cost. There should not be a need for um, the co-payments. And of course, it does speak to the need to manage to protect the NHI from profiteering from excessive price increases, et cetera. So there's a need for a balancing act, but it's quite a fundamental one. Um, Chen, we would agree with the bill's provisions for the sequencing of uh, patients, that they adhere to the sequencing. They go to the primary healthcare provider and they follow the pathway. And if they don't do that, 
they have, well, they wouldn't be assisted. We have to get out it right to avoid clogging tertiary institutions for people who should have just been treated at a primary healthcare facility, for example. And we can see positive international examples that speak to that. Cuba, Sweden, Norway, etc. So I think, Honorable Ishmael, look, I think first the issue of commodities of scale around procurement is critical. Um, even the medical aids themselves are struggling to, to survive. And you look, many of them have simply closed because the charges imposed by the hospitals, etc., are simply unaffordable. Um, but the end result is that it's been dumped upon medical aid members, upon workers, etc. So we think the government public procurement will play a critical role to manage the excessive prices. It can also be a huge opportunity for us to build a local manufacturing capacity as well. And we've seen that there is positive examples there from recently on the pharmaceutical sector, developing and building local uh, vaccines. But even some of the work we had done as COSATU at NADLAC with business with the Department of Health in 2020 to, to build local manufacturing capacity for the PPEs. These are huge opportunities to create jobs. Well, there's no need to import things which you can build locally. But yeah, it does speak to, as Honorable Ishmael is saying, to overhauling a public procurement system, which right now is a cesspool of corruption and waste. We need to have a single online transparent public procurement system, which really does cover the entire state. And it must be transparent so that any company submitting an application, the media, the public can see it and scrutinize it. The best way of dealing with corruption is really transparency and scrutiny. We've had lots of engagements with the president, with the minister of finance, around making sure the public procurement bill, which is due to be um, tabled soon in NEDLAC, speaks to this thing. It's not just about healthcare products, but about the entire value chain of public procurement. But of course, yeah, there's also a need for the NPA and SAPs to do their job and to deal with people who steal, including politicians. We've raised engagement with the president um, at NEDLAC. We hope to have engagement soon around extending the, the, the ban on politically exposed persons from doing business with the state. We need to enhance it, um, as again, to respond to Honorable Ishmael's question. Chair, we think the bill will pass constitutional master without a doubt. Um, we have many rights in the constitution, but the one right which is not subject to limitations, unlike other rights which are subject to limitations, is the right to life. Healthcare, access to quality, healthcare is fundamental to that. And right now we are denying 84% of society access to quality healthcare. Um, we think that the bill does get the right balance in terms of universal coverage, that basically anyone who is legally within South Africa is entitled to, to universal healthcare coverage. And of course, for undocumented migrants, it speaks to emergency healthcare. And we have to get the right balance because if you're going to say healthcare to anybody who's in the country, you might open a floodgate where people from neighboring states or wherever in the world who don't have that, that healthcare would come to South Africa. But I think it provides the right balance because it speaks to documented migrant workers, it speaks to refugees, it also speaks to emergency care for undocumented migrants. So I think that's, that's the right balance. Chair, look. You will still have private healthcare providers under the NHI, but they'll be contracted by the NHI. So you're not dividing, denying a person the freedom of choice. You're not closing these facilities, but the NHI will be the all-encompassing umbrella for the nation. And other countries have done it across Europe, Canada, many other countries with, with, with great success. Um, so I think the vacancies of healthcare workers speak to the inequitable distribution of resources. That you have a heavily over-resourced private sector, which can have ample staff, which is great for them. But in the healthcare catering for 84% of the country, we have a constant shortage. We can never catch up with the shortage of staff. 
Chair, I mean, we speak about expenditure. So currently in South Africa, we spend about 8.5% of the GDP on healthcare. We spend about $862 per person annually. Um, government expenditure as part of the budget is about 9.3% on, on healthcare. But our life expectancy is about 54. So we spend more per person. We spend three times per person what China does. Yet has a life, care, a life expectancy of 72. Um, we spend not too far from what Russia achieves, but it has a life expectancy of 62. Our expenditure is quite similar to Brazil. Um, and again, they're doing better than us. So I think, Chair, the point is that with us, we're spending half of our expenditure on 14% of the population and half on 84%. And it's obvious that system can't work. Um, this is why you have people queuing from 4 in the 4 a.m. in the morning in day hospitals in Cape Town for Bernardo. That's why you have people being turned away from hospitals when their lives are in danger, and often there's a consequence to that. So if we want to have access to quality healthcare, we need to make sure we have access to quality distribution of the resources. The money we spend is enough, cumulatively, but we're not distributing it in an equal way. And it's just simply, it's not sustainable. Chair, we're already having a problem of, of immigration of healthcare workers. We're training nurses and doctors to to go to New Zealand, to Dubai, to Canada. But that's because they often work in extremely overstressed conditions in public healthcare institutions. Again, because they can inequitable distribution resources. And of course, the other countries simply poach them by offering them better wages. So we also need to look at what are the salaries we pay healthcare workers? How can we help attract them to retain? Um, that's the fundamental solution to it. Um, but yeah, the, the point is the system now is not, work, not working, it's not sustainable, we have to fix it, both private and public. Um, Chair, Honourable Clark, look, so we have healthcare workers in Kosato who work in the private sector. Um, they're worried about unaffordable medical aid premiums. They are worried about the jobs, that's why we made the point about there's a need to ensure any workers whose jobs are at risk to be absorbed. We cannot throw people into the unemployment queue, and these are skilled workers who want to make a contribution. But in the healthcare workers um, who are also members, they're highly stressed. They're overwhelmed by the huge amount of patients they have to see with minimal resources. And again, they all want to play a role. But you cannot expect a healthcare worker um, you know, in Haderfeld Day Hospital to perform optimally when they're overwhelmed. How does a doctor work well when she works a 48-hour shift? Yeah, I think, you know, France didn't start off well. <laughs> they, they were destroyed. Um, during World War II, bludgeoned in, 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 into oblivion, literally. But they managed to build up, and they build up by making hard decisions, which we now need to do. But the status quo is not sustainable. Chair, look, we, have, we highlighted currency transactions as one option. There are other options. And uh, we think we need to have that discussion informed by best practice from colleagues in SARS, et cetera. But the, the point is we need to be creative and think about how we can sustain it. Chair, to Honorable Wilson, Look, I mean, public health care was never in a good situation. Uh, before 1994, it didn't exist for 90% of society in essence. Um, after 1994, government did very well to expand it, but it's never going to catch up with what you have in a very unequal distribution of resources. It's simply not sustainable. Chair, we don't think we need to equate the issue of corruption versus inequality. We need to deal with both of them. Um, you can't say, let's fix this one and ignore the other one. Um, Chair, I think for us, the, the payroll tax will replace the medical aid contributions, so you'd be replacing one cost with another cost. But currently, Chair, we also have to acknowledge there are hidden costs for workers who often have to spend huge amounts of money on out-of-pocket costs, puts them into debt. 
often inhibits them from getting the quality care they need, which has a cost to the to the to the lives, to the families, etc. There's a cost of people who can't afford healthcare. The state is overwhelmed, and that costs people dying unnecessarily. Um, to Honourable Shame, uh, look first as Kosato VAT is an aggressive tax because it treats everyone the same. So you pay the same amount of tax on meat, whether you're a worker, whether you're unemployed, whether you're wealthy. So it's an aggressive tax. We think we really need to shift more to progressive tax, which provides protection for the poor and shifts the burden to those who can afford it. The Honorable Sukacha, I think our point is that the status quo is unsustainable. Um, this is a fundamental moral issue, one of the greatest issues facing the, the sixth administration, the sixth parliament. Um, we cannot simply be content with 84% of our population being denied access to quality health care. It's also an economics issue. How will a worker be productive if they're infected with TB, if they're dying from unnecessary, easily preventable diseases? How does it make sense that Cape Town is a TB capital of the world, yet we have top quality health institutions here? So we have to address the inequality issue. Um, and medical aid is, is dominated by, by monopolies. Um, this is why we see excessive profiteering, nothing to do with productive costs or inputs, simply about profiteering, far and above inflation. Um, we have seen all political parties complaining about, you know, electricity tariff hikes, which are outstripping inflation. But it's interesting that some are, are quiet about the same thing around uh, private medical profiteering. Um, but the point is here that even those workers who are lucky to have medical aid, they simply cannot keep up with the medical aid tariff hikes. It really is bleeding workers and it's putting them in a terrible choice of choosing whether to continue or, and not be able to feed the families or to cancel medical aids and take the risk and then pay the consequences when they get sick or hospitalized. Um, we think the pricing committee will play a key role to help and protect the NHI from excessive profiteering. And again, it speaks to the needs to overhaul the public procurement system. But I think also, Honorable Chair, it speaks to the need for us to fast track the health master plan to build the local, to expand the local manufacturing capacity because that is going to reduce costs, et cetera, as opposed to importing them. Um, to Honorable Sokacha and Munyai, we have had a huge amount of engagement with COSATA members across our affiliates. And you know, I mean, healthcare is always a sensitive issue, so we have to handle it sensitively. We have to continue these engagements throughout the implementation process of the NHI because workers, like anybody else, have questions. They don't have a single view. But the overwhelming support from our members uh, for many years is, is for an, an NHI, from those members who can't afford medical aid, who are struggling to pay payments, who are being bled by co-payments, um, but also for those who cannot even get onto medical aid because they simply earn too little. Um, so there's an ongoing engagement with us, uh, with members. I think, Chair, just to unlock my eyes before getting to the end, um, we are condemning workers to death. Many of our diseases are easily preventable. TB, other diseases are, 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 are manageable, or even at times, if you're lucky, curable, like cancer. But we're denying people access to the treatment they need. Um, we are often seeing patients either being turned away at public health institutions because they are full, or patients just losing hope because the queues are too long and they can't afford to be standing in queues the whole day when they need to go to work. So, Chair, I think our plea to Parliament is that and of course, Parliament must do its due diligence, and I think we appreciate the extraordinary efforts this committee has done um, for the past two years to go to provinces, to hold huge, extensive public hearings, 
Um, I think you've included about 140 organizations in memory, says me right. I think our plea is for the National Assembly to conclude its processes you know, during the course of this year and for the National Council provinces to, to begin its work this year and to conclude ideally by June next year. Um, because again, we'll have to hold public hearings at the NCP level. But we want to get to see it concluded in essence during this sixth administration. Um, it would give space for the president to sign into, into law. Um, we couldn't afford to see it not being passed by this parliament. It's been too long. And of course, Chair, there's memory serves me right. There's about 11 or so supplementary bills, if I'm right, and I can be corrected, which need to follow suit after this foundation bill. And of course, we speak to the issue of building blocks, appropriations, et cetera. So there's a huge amount of work. We know this won't happen overnight, but let's get the bill done. Um, Chair, I think just to, to, to the, the last question from yourself, Honorable Chair, um, yes, you know, I think our point about the primary healthcare was a point of emphasis. Um, we believe it's a, it's a foundation, it's central to the NHI and its objectives. So I think our point was just to elevate it in the, the objectives of the bill. And yeah, Chair, on the issue of the two units, the fraud and prevention and the corruption units, if they have distinct different roles, complementary roles, I think perhaps just to clarify those roles. Um, but yeah, let me stop there, Comrade Chair, Honorable Chair, and hope I've answered all the questions and hope I didn't take too long. Thanks very much, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much uh, for giving uh, such uh, a broad explanation of what uh, the Honorable Members was uncertain about. We, uh, we really appreciate it and also for saving us a bit of time and also for the accolades uh, about the work that we've been performing uh, over the last two years. So we, we really appreciate that uh, coming from you, uh, Mr. Box. Uh, as far as Honorable Ismail's concern uh, that she raised earlier, I've been in discussion with Mr. Bundy, who confirms that all submissions, uh, none, no submissions were affected both the written submissions and the electronic submissions. So as it stands now, the fire has not affected any of the work um, that we had received prior to the fire and any work that we have done, as well as any of our recordings uh, as far as this energy bill is concerned. So I hope that we set one to rest on the this time. And then uh, before I continue, maybe a last word, uh, well, last comment, last word sounds of that. Let me say a last comment before I let you go. And you're very welcome to stay on the platform should you so wish. Um, so, sorry, Chair, your connection was a little bit soft. I didn't know if you had to say any final words. Um, yes, I believe I'm not being heard so well. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> just a, a final concluding remark. Yeah, no, no, I think, thanks very much. I think, yeah, just in conclusion, I think just to thank members for giving us space to raise our views. I think you were very generous in the amount of time you gave us. I was quite surprised when we were told you would give us 45 minutes to present. So I think, I think it's a positive sign that the committee has really gone out to hear the public. We know that this is a contentious issue. Um, our times parliament does shortcut processes. I think this committee can't be accused of that. You've gone the extra mile and beyond to be inclusive. So I think Chair, really our plea is, and you know, we'll support the committee in its deliberations. This is critical work, we have to get it right, but we're confident we will. We're confident in the team led by the Department of Health and the DDG, uh, Dr. Crisp and his team. Um, we've had very positive engagement with NEDLAC. I think we're all on the same page. And I think Chair, please just simply for Parliament to do its work, 
um, diligently. Let's get this bill done by next year, I would assume, and let it be on the president's desk for him to sign into law. And let's, let, that's just the beginning of the hard work. But I think, Chair Skosatu, we are unashamedly in support of the NHI bill, and it's going to be a huge radical shift for the better for, for workers and for the country at large. Uh, thanks very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Honourable members, we're going to move straight on. We have the South African Communist Party about to present on the NHI bill, and we do have Jaboko uh, Pardu on the platform. I've seen him on the platform. I'm going to welcome him to this portfolio committee meeting and ask him to introduce the rest of his team and go straight on to his presentation. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Chair. Uh, and uh, let me welcome, we welcome the opportunity uh, to make this presentation uh, as the South African Communist Party. And I'm sure I have my colleague, I didn't see her name, but it's Alex Mashilu, who's also uh, part of the national leadership structure of the party, the Central Committee. Um, in this presentation, Chair, we just want to move quickly and uh, uh, given the time constraints to say that we are going to focus on three issues. First is just a general commentary. Uh, on the bill uh, so that you understand the basis through which we are, we are making this bill. We are going to highlight some of the aspects of the bill that may need uh, support, um, I mean clarity, sorry. Uh, and the last part is just to share, you know, some of things we can learn from the NHI. To the extent in which they go to the bill or they, they inform the transitional period, it's a matter that we are also open to. Okay, the first thing is that we welcome the bill for several reasons. You know, first and foremost, it is indeed a direct response to, and it marks a decisive, you know, a break with the, with the present unequal you know, irrational, two-tire health system, which is, which is a system that also reflects, you know, the persisting and worsening income and wealth inequalities in, in, in South Africa. So, so the, you know, the, the NHI needs to be understood also within that broader context and, uh, and within the broader social determinants of healthcare, because it's not just about the system, it's about other broader determinants. And health and, e and wealth inequality is one of those determinants that needs to be understood. And then the second issue we want to raise here, Chair, is that uh, you know this bill is about redistribution a major redistribution uh, of existing healthcare resources. So you will always sometimes hear people saying that, uh, you know, where are you going to get the resources? We are talking about 
really existing resources. That is what much of the emphasis, whether those resources are financial or they are human, but they are existing resources. I think uh, we all are aware of how much we are spending on healthcare now as a country, not just as government. You know, over 400 billion. Uh, some states are saying maybe we may be even reaching towards half a trillion rand in the next few years. So this is the extent that uh, uh, the country has huge, 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 huge resources. But we know there are how that spend. You know, when you you look at you break it down, you know, it's maldistribution of resources. It's waste. It's all kinds of things. And of course, we should also not uh, talk about corruption uh, that could also contribute to that. Not just public sector, but also in the private sectors. As someone who has uh, been a member of the uh, the medical council, have uh, you know the regulatory council have experienced uh, such cases, which I think members of parliament will be much more familiar than than most people. Uh, given you know, of uh, medical corruption in the medical uh, scheme industry. So, so being about redistribution is very, very important uh, to emphasize. And therefore, it feeds into the general program of, of government to redistribute existing resources in this country. However, Chair, we think that uh, redistribution of the health sector as outlined in the objectives of the bill, uh, the objectives uh, section part of the bill, is very, very clear, uh, even in the bill, that you need a system-wide structural transformation approach. So it's not either or, you know, is it public sector, is it private sector? You know, which one do you fix first? and so on, because the system is the problem. It's not the public or the private. So we cannot transform the, uh, the public health sector without simultaneously transforming the private health sector and vice versa, because they are, they are related in many ways, whether it's about financing, a lot of money in the public sector subsidize the private sector. A lot of money in the private sector uh, takes away resources from the public sector. For instance, uh, the movement of doctors, uh, uh, people in or, or health professionals, people double dipping, people working two jobs in South Africa. So, so this is not a time to tinker with the present to tire healthcare system. Um, you know, and we believe that this bill provides a, a solid foundation for such transformation. The other issue is that you know the the bill and 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 people you know don't realize this is that by providing health care for all, it guarantees that good health care and on a comprehensive basis, not on a limited package to everyone for life. Now, our those of us who've got medical schemes and so on, you know, we can only have that if we've got jobs for most of us. If we don't have jobs, we don't have medical aid. So we are not guaranteed. And second point, 
which is at the heart of uh, is one of the core proposal of this bill is is a, is a, is, is ability to access um, care based on need, not on access to, not not on ability to pay. So free at the point of service is critical to ensure that it is not money that determines whether you have health care, you get good health care or not. Um, and, 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 and this principle is, is, is very, very critical. So, uh, Chair, the other general comment we want to make is to remind ourselves that uh, the NHI enjoys popular support. Okay, uh, not just, uh, and, and there are even studies uh, that have been done to, to show that uh, people, if they are asked basic questions of whether the, you know, in terms of um, uh, the, the uh, uh, access to health care and, and so on, they will support uh, NHI, especially around uh, its core features and principle. The first one being universal coverage and social solidarity. Even those who are not sure of NHI, uh, partly because of some myth or misunderstanding, will come and say, yeah, we are for quality health care for all, which is about health coverage. They will also say, yeah, we are for solidarity, social solidarity. So there's, 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 a, there's a, a strong support around that and um, and and uh, even though there may be misunderstanding or a pretension to misunderstanding about what universal coverage means, but we know what we talk about universal health coverage. We're talking about having that access on same terms, on same terms. In other words, you know, you don't say someone who's got the uh, a platinum medical scheme, and another one has got a gold medical scheme with different benefits and so on, and someone in the public sector or or that with with more services, access to service and so on, and then you say that is universal coverage. No, it has to be on same terms, and that is what WHO and the world have defined this. It's a universal definition is not a South African because we, we, we are of a special type. No, it is a universal definition that it has to be on the same terms and the resources have to be redistributed to those who need health care most. And who are those? The working class and the poor, the majority of South Africans. So I think that is very, very important. The other principle that I think uh, is, is, is felt is, is around the need for a, a publicly financed and publicly administered a fund, you know, which acts as a single and a strategic purchaser of health services delivered by accredited public uh, and, and we will say social and private sectors. Okay, so this is, a, this is very, very important. Uh, because you want accountability. You, you don't want to um, outsource this important function to, 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 to the present administrators of, uh, 
of insurance schemes. And I'll talk later about that, uh, about the fund. And I've talked about free point of service, uh, which from our point of view is that, you know, healthcare service must be prepaid predominantly through, uh, through text uh, contribution and based on your ability to pay, to pay meaning no out-of-pocket, no longer premiums, no co-payments, and, and services delivered according to need. But also there is a, an important uh, point, especially in given the recent uh, challenges facing the public sector around corruption, state capture corruption, or what we call corporate state capture corruption, because it's not just government officials involved in corruption, it's the private sector. As I've mentioned, for, for instance, our experience in medical uh, um, uh, schemes, uh, a lot of corruption that is going on uh, there. But it's also against uh, policies that promote uh, fiscal austerity on, on health care. Uh, seeing health care as a, as a cost rather than as an investment. Uh, so, so there's a popular support that you can't have an NHI under a, a policies, especially macroeconomic policies, that supports uh, fiscal austerity, literally cutting and cutting and cutting uh, health care, especially in the public sector. Because if you do that, you are in, a, uh, in a other ways expanding the public, uh, the, 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 the private health sector. Um, so, so, so this is very, very important. And it will be important even in this bill as we suggest to strengthen those aspects of the bill that talks to accountability, transparency, and a well-resourced public health sector. But let me just finally sum point on the my last our last comment on a general comment is is our own distractors uh, that you know, and this is not uncommon that that the NHI has got its own detractors, not distractors, detractors. And this, um, um, you know, you know, it has happened over years, you know, where similar major health reforms have taken place. You know, whether it is, um, uh, in, uh, you know, in the UK, in Canada, you know, in uh, currently now we see in the United States around the medical care for all a bill that is now before U.S. Congress or the NHI implementation in South Korea. So what you actually see is is that the same face the same forces that benefits from the status quo uh, tend to be the most. Uh, re relentless resistance to to uh, to to universal healthcare reforms. So we are not alone. And and what is very interesting is that uh, the themes around which they seek to shape the terms of debates are more the same. You know, where will the money come from? You know, fix the public sector first. Uh, it's unworkable. It's unaffordable. You know similar terms like those. 
So, so the, this is uh, something that also needs to be understood within that general uh, international context uh, where NHI or similar uh, uh, have, have been, uh, efforts have been, have been advanced around the world. And, and indeed, they've been advanced. In fact, the United Nations have declared 2030 as a target to achieve universal in most countries in the world, they should have uh, make sure that by 2030 we achieve those targets. So this is this is uh, this is something very very important to to emphasize. But Chair, what, you know, having said that, one does not say does not necessarily say that you know it is just you know uh, you know. Uh, criticism of NHI is just a noise. No, there may be a noise, a lot of it actually could be a noise, but there's, there's also uh, some who claim that while they're opposed to NHI or they've got criticism of the they support the principles of universal health coverage and social solidarity. I'm sure you have heard that in your public hearings as well. But what is quite surprising and maybe disappointing uh, is that they, there's a very little evidence of any alternative proposals, very concrete detail. I mean, uh, the call for a detailed NHI bill that should even announce how much it will cost it's one of the calls of, of people, you know, in, in public debates. Uh, but none of them have ever proposed any concrete detailed proposal alternative to NHI bill. And not only that, even if they propose such proposals, because I've, I've come across them, neither advances universal coverage, neither advances comprehensive health coverage, neither advances social solidarity. So, you know, I mean, one of them, which I could mention here, you know, I think it's just a freedom, what, free market foundation, you know, proposed that, uh, you know, maybe we should just give South Africa medical vouchers to shop around in the marketplace. So that's some of the proposal that have been advanced. So, so uh, um, you know, yeah, it's ridiculous, of course. And so health inequalities uh, uh, in our two-tier health system is not something that preoccupy most of the proposals. I'm not saying that everyone, but most of the proposals we have come across. Now, when it comes to the specific uh, point, uh, the first thing we want to raise, you know, while we are endorsing generally the bill, is, is that, uh, you know, maybe some interpretation needs to be clarified on private sector. It may sound very innocent what private sector means, but in the dominant, in the, in the minds of many, private sector basically means private business, okay? You know, and, and sometimes we you know, we, we, we seem to, to assume that, you know, that is the case, but that's what it means um, in, in most cases. So the bill presented two polar structure. It's, you're either private or you are, you are public. 
Um, we think that you know reality is is more than that. We we have we do have other sectors in the in the society. The, the third sector called the social sector, uh, which can be distinguished from the private health sector, private hospitals uh, that are profit orientated. Um, uh, you know, big pharma pharmaceutical companies and so on. Uh, including even at the level of, uh, of, of provision, you know. Um, so that this is very, very important that we, you know, we are just saying that, you know, maybe in our commentary, we should, we should add that part, the, the social sector, and, and define it uh, quite, quite clearly. I mean, it could range to NGOs uh, who will not feel comfortable to be told that they are, they are their private sector, uh, and and uh, uh, it could involve, uh, you know, I've I just heard, you know, the... the Catch the, the phrase when you've given someone the gears within a speech. Honourable Clark, please mute your microphone. Okay, thanks, Chair. Then uh, um, on the NHI fund, which is the core proposal uh, of the bill, central basically emphasize the central role of the state in funding and organizing a new universal health system. So we, we, we reject, obviously, the, the proposal for outsourcing this role uh, to medical schemes. Uh, it's not in the bill, but it is something that uh, in the proposals we have seen in public, uh, there, there are calls for such. And... Um, we, we we really think that the fund, uh, you know, uh, uh, is not not be understood just only as a, a you know you know funding finance part, but it also will will change the way you know uh, healthcare is uh, is delivered because it will influence the behaviour of all actors in the industry, whether it's private providers, by changing the way we pay them, the payment mechanism, by, by setting the rules for procurement uh, through as a strategic purchase and therefore saving costs and, and so on. So it's, it's, it's basically a, res, a direct response to our current uh, fragmented um, uh, health, health funding pockets within the state and medical schemes uh, sector or private sector, you know. Um, the other important point we want to raise on the fund is that uh, uh, we, we, have not, we have not found it much emphasized, but we will assume that it may want to focus on resourcing the public sector because currently it is a public sector that have suffered, you know, uh, significant resources away from from it towards the private sector. Uh, so, so we can't attract enough doctors, and if, even if we need doctors, uh, there's there's little capacity uh, to produce adequate uh, res uh, human resources uh, to address the historical. You know, pre you know pre pre post ninety four uh, spatial disparities are still with us within the provinces, within districts. 
you know, especially in the rural or so-called former homelands. Uh, these are these are very very important points that and where the greatest need uh, 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 will be felt. So public sector should be recognised in the bill as the backbone of the NHI uh, and therefore requires significant resource from that point of view. Um, then uh, the issue of uh, you know. Uh, services, um, I think uh, it is quite clear in the in the bill, and we agree that uh, there, there are sections there. We just want to highlight that part, that even when we talk about comprehensive coverage, which we strongly believe uh, that's what NHI should be all about, but they must be rooted in primary health care approach. You know, this is something... That say has inf informed the progressive movement since 1994, but has never been fully in the, in the, uh, uh, implemented. So, so it's, it's just to support the earlier point of strengthening the public health sector to say that primary health care will be do that. It, it it will contribute significantly as well to to reducing the costs of health care uh, as well. And let let, let me. Let me, uh, Chair, um, talk about the point I made earlier about corruption and 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 be upfront that we we should anticipate, of course, that NHI fund will be a prime target of forces of corporate capture and corruption in all its shapes and colors, and that's for sure. And um, the NHI, yes, it has proposed some inbuilt mechanisms uh, inside, but we and we we support that, including uh, those investigative capacities and so on. But we really think that uh, there should be more transparency and accountability, you know, in the use of funds and ensuring that those funds are directed where they are needed most. And this is where I think, Chair, we, uh, by greater transparency, I will say that we, we basically say that the way things uh, are done should be, we should, do, we should try to do more. Uh, for instance, the way CEOs are appointed, the board is appointed, there should be a lot of transparency around that. Uh, these committees, uh, advisory pricing committees, and so on there should be a, an important transparency process. And that will enhance automatically accountability uh, of the fund. Otherwise, we, we, we support a lot of measures aimed at improving public accountability of the fund. Um, on the role of medical schemes, uh, we, we think that the, this, is, this is very, very important to understand that it is not about you know, uh, you know, just uh, looking at the role of medical schemes in different schemes. I think the, we understand the bill may not explain, but I think in the health policy, uh, there is a major explanation of why we need to shift resources away from employer-based or employment-based health coverage in a form of medical schemes which currently commands around 45% of, uh, 
of healthcare funding in this country. I mean, this is upset. And nothing has, has so much has ever been seen around the world where a voluntary private health insurance makes up such a significant portion of healthcare funding. So there, there, there has to be, uh, you know, in the public sector, we, we always say, you know, right sizing or downsizing. Yes, there have to be a downsizing of uh, medical schemes so that they, they play less role than they are playing currently uh, in a form of a complementary cover. The, the alternative is the status quo. It will duplicate resources and it will maintain the two-tier health care system. So, Chair, that's much. And on the lessons for NHI, we, we think that, you know, parliament and, and, or, and, and government, they should consider uh, having most any study, uh, an assessment of the lessons that can be drawn from COVID-19, um, you know, and, and, and the measures we've implemented during the state of national emergency. Uh, those lessons should be helpful without preempting what what could you know could be the outcome of that. But I think some of the questions uh, could revolve around our preparedness, public health emergency preparedness as a country, and what this could mean under a unified healthcare system, uh, so that we we are ready. We we do that to the extent in which this. Are, are, are for the purpose of the bill, uh, you know, we we are open to that. That it could be not necessarily be here, but but are we are we incorporating elements of public health emergency preparedness for NHI? So this is and and for future emergencies that may may may, may look at uh, we may look at that. And uh, there's a couple of experiences that we can draw on uh, around that. The other issue is, is is that you know if we look at the lessons of of um, of NHI is that there's been the, you know you will need to look at you know the capacity of the state in national planning and coordination. Yes, during COVID we have seen actually much more greater planning and coordination than we have seen pre-COVID. You know, whether this is with regard to issues of deployment of, of human resources, where they are needed most, whether it's about vaccine, equipment, national health information systems, and so on. Um, so we could also consider coordination with provinces to ensure you know, interactions with healthcare providers and private sector, and also community mobilization. So that's much. I, I hope I was on time, uh, Chair. I will end up there. Thank you. Thank you very much for that presentation. Uh, it's very welcome. And uh, we, uh, we take note of uh, what you have said, uh, the Bible. We were a number of Members who want to ask some questions to you. Honorable Munyai, Ismail Sukacha, Claude Gela Harvard. Munyai, Ismail Sukacha, Claude Gela Harvard. 
and some members have, would have had to leave already to uh, to get the uh, bus to Parliament today. So uh, we do excuse them, including Honorable uh, Tempoquayo and all other members who have to rush to take uh, the bus to Parliament for the city. In that order, Honorable Members. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. I think uh, we welcome the presentation of the SSCP by Comrade Tebukhopadu. Uh, the first question is the following. You have made reference to the need to differentiate the private sector from the social sector. Uh, in the view of the SSCP, how should this differentiation uh, uh, be affected uh, in practice? We want to get a sense how this will be affected in practice. In Japan, for example, contracting the private sector is based on the cost-based reimbursement with no room for profit-driven providers. One must uh, appreciate that Japan is an apex of uh, imperialist capital market economy. Do you, have, uh, do you envisage the social sector being prioritized in contracting for provision uh, of, of care of services? Would you also propose the NHI emulates that methodology of Japan or model uh, in terms of contract contracting only with non-profit providers? I want also to ask whether, um, Honorable Chair, if you permit, uh, there's, uh, I think, let, let's deal with it. I want, if you can address the myth, the myth that really uh, some of the dictators of the NHI maybe be dealing with. For instance, some of the myth, they argue that uh, healthcare will be nationalized. If you can really perhaps uh, clarify some of those in SSCP context, some argue that the country cannot afford NHI. It is too expensive. If that myth could be clarified, some argue that the, uh, this, this is additional tax burden. If you can address that myth again, other myth, they argue that uh, this NHI fund will be state on enterprises. If you can please clarify this myth. Other myth or other detractors are those that want to argue for universal health coverage. But without NHI itself, what would be your view? Thank you. Good afternoon, and thank you for the presentation. I just have a few questions. My first question, under the world's current governance and organizational structure, do you recommend, do you recommend that the private sector be included on the board to improve the accountability and legitimacy of the board? Do you actually recommend parliamentary oversight to mitigate the threat of corruption? My second question, noting that the NHI will be sourcing funds from Texas and the tax base in South Africa is relatively small. Do you feel that the pool of taxes will be sufficient to carry the bill since presently the private sector is in the forefront in assisting with health services to the country? My third question, are members of your organization presently using public health care facilities or are they on medical aids? Would all your members be willing to forfeit their right and freedom of choice under the NHI? 
My fourth question. We already know of at least 104 billion rand in medical negligence claims. Won't this be even worse under the NHI? My fourth question. Considering the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently cannot manage to monitor even 20% of our healthcare facilities and the fact that health facilities need to reach certain compliance requirements. We know that most public healthcare facilities will not meet NHI standards. Won't this stifle or impact health services to communities? My next question. Does the SACP consider that the NHI bill in its current form will be providing a health value-based model and will it be sustainable? My last question. We have already seen cadres seeking to fill their own pockets as we have seen in the digital vibe scandal. What suggestions can you provide to protect the fund from political interference? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, just a few questions from my side, Chair. Um, my first question, uh, Chair, I would like to thank uh, uh, the presentation by Mr. Badu. As I said to the previous presenter from COSATU, I want to repeat and say that your presentation is very progressive and talks to the poor of this country. I'm therefore going to ask you this same question I asked to COSATU. What is the South African Communist Party's response to those who are opposed to the bill, in particular, and the NHI principle in general, like what we have just heard from Avri Forum, that they will take government and this department to the Constitutional Court, because according to them, the bill, when it becomes law, will not pass the Constitutional Master. How does the South African Communist Party take this? Threats. How will you and your members uh, respond to these threats of going to block this noble cause, the cause of ensuring that the poor of this country have access to quality and affordable health like them, which are the rich? Of course, we, we live in a democratic dispensation, which your organization played a crucial role to achieve. Everyone is free to go to court, including them. But now this noble cause are uh, threatened in this way. What do you say to this as the South African Communist Party? Mr. Badu, you mentioned in your presentation that the detectors of the National Health Insurance argue that you must leave the private sector alone and go and fix the, the public sector the clinics and the hospitals. At the same time, you gave a picture on how healthcare funding is stood in this country in favor of the private healthcare. To those then who say, go and fix the public sector, will you not ask them to question a question in return that with what must the public sector be fixed and health workers be employed when we see that they, you see, day in and day out, the healthcare budget getting a cut. This portfolio committee and all its members, without exception, have complained about the budget cuts in health. So will you 
not ask the question of what must uh, the fiction be done if all the money goes to the private and less to the public. Do you think that this question will be in order? Then, Chairperson, my last question um, uh, to the South African Communist Party is, what is the view of the South African Communist Party on the notion of the right to economic activity by the private for profit, for, for profit sector and a freedom of choice for citizens as claimed by some of those who oppose the NHI? Would you regard these rights as more superior to the constitutional right to access to healthcare as enshrined in section 27 or the right to life as enshrined in section 11? Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, can I ask you, in your view, based on the proof of address requirements, will it not exclude a majority of the population from gaining access to the fund? And then secondly, considering your rejection of the new liberal approach to healthcare, looking at the history of the unsuccessful attempts of socialism and communism in the world, what makes the NHI any different to the historically failed communist policies? In your view, what key characteristics of the NHI will be successfully implemented? Thank you. I'm the next chairperson. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, you are Honorable Gela. Well, thank you, Chairperson, for the opportunity. Uh, let me also join you and Honorable Sokacha by uh, welcoming the presentation from SACP uh, Amabovana. Indeed, uh, uh, Honorable Sokacha, it's a progressive uh, presentation. I also agree with you. Uh, but I've got only one question to ask uh, Chairperson. Uh, based on the comments made by the SACP presenter on slide 14, are there any additions being proposed in section 19 and section 57 of the bill which address the need for transparency and accountability to be central in the activities of the NHI? Fund. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Chair. Just one question. What is the view of SACP in sequencing of implement SACP's view on comments previously made that the government must first be for the NHI is implemented. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you very much, honorable members. Any other member who want to raise any point? If not, I just want to speak about two points uh, with you. The one has to do with your, your noting uh, the current specialized statutory prepaid uh, mandatory social insurances. And I uh, just want to take you to the white paper that speaks uh, about it and then states that during the transitional phase alignment of the benefits covered uh, through COIDA, ODIMWA, UIF and RAF, as well as the reimbursement strategies for contracted providers will be aligned with those of NHI institutional and organizational reforms. Um, this is also mentioned in clauses 57 and 58. Um, and uh, if, if you are concerned that it maybe does not address all of that which you would wish for it to do, would it therefore be uh, doable that it be included in the regulations and the implementation plan? And on my uh, last point has to do with uh, um, this notion that the NHI will destroy the economy and jobs, uh, and it's been alluded to by many others. Yeah, has spoken about what's called myths, so we can raise quite a number of, uh, of these myths. Um, this is one of those um, which have been raised a number of times. And what would your view be in terms of the socioeconomic impact assessment study this year? Uh, that have been done. Um, have you ever looked at, uh, at this with regards to that both the SSP and any other benchmarking to assess how implementation of the NHI or similar systems has contributed to economic growth and, and job creation? We're going to hear your views on those and uh, also to answer the questions of all of the honorable members and the comments. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks uh, uh, for the comments. I must say these are uh, quite a number of questions. Uh, I may not be able to answer maybe on the time allocated, but I will try as much as I can. Uh, yes, uh, when it comes to the first question, um, uh, around social sector versus uh, private sector. Uh, I think all we are saying is that, um, you know, you don't just have a public sector and a private sector in South Africa. You've got also a social sector. You know, people involved in healthcare, but they are, you know, their preoccupation is private sector understood as, as much of um, for-profit entities and, and so on. So we just want to make that clarity very, very clear. Because I can tell you, even an ordinary person, when you say private sector, you just think business um, as such. So it's important to do that. Uh, actually, a number of legislation in South Africa try to recognize that we are a mixed economy, that we, we do have a private sector, which is still significant, but we still have a social sector and we have a public sector. So both of them have to be recognized. Um, and this is not to say that, you know, uh, in prioritization should be 
on the social sector per se, but just to allow that space for people also to, uh, you know, to develop a different forms of organization and so on. Um, the other issue I want to raise is the um, the uh, the you know yeah so so what we are saying is that in the interpretation of terms try to do that quickly uh, there's been a, a range of issues that relates to some misunderstanding around the concepts of NHI and what it implies and i think is captured in both what munyai has been saying and also i think this lady uh, sorry i forgot your name but uh, Colin, get your name clearly. But what I I will say is that you know, first and foremost, what we in the party are saying, and and that's how we understand the bill, and we think the bill is actually saying that as well, that um, place uh, social needs above private pro- profits. Okay, so the only way you can cover everyone. Um, on same terms uh, is to place social health needs of the people, the the health of the people first before profits. And what it implies, and then that is in line with, uh, you know, what we call social rights in our constitution, the right to health care, you know, that irrespective of the income, whether I've got income or I don't have income, I've got the right to health care. And so health should not be commodified or uh, be subjected to marketization, to the markets. Um, uh, if you do that, and, and we all know what happens, is that only profitable patients will, will access that health care. If you are not profitable patient, which means I don't make money out of your health, your ill care, you won't have access. And that's what it means. Uh, uh, the private sector in South Africa and around the world. Um, so we we are making that point, and by so saying, we are not saying that. Uh, uh, and I think that's what the bill also says: is that uh, we are not saying that you know do away with private health sector. We say that no, we should influence the way they deliver health care. Okay, so there will still be. Uh, healthcare, private healthcare, accredited one will have access to the funds, um, private healthcare, together with the public healthcare. But in that scheme of things, we also have to recognize that only the public sector can become the core, the backbone. Nowhere in the world, nowhere in the world have we ever found a private health sector providing universal health care to all. No ways. It cannot, it, it has never happened. It is only through government, through the state, that, that it is uh, uh, possible. So proposals, which I've ex- given one example, that the private sector can provide universal health coverage has no basis at all. There's no evidence anywhere in the world, especially in our country where we've got even voluntary private health insurance. Okay, so the, I think it it, 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 it it addresses those. And then the issues of affordability I've, I've, I've talked about. But you see, the terms of 
Will it be affordable? Will it be sustainable? Is a question that maybe should be turned upside down and says, how do we make NHI affordable? How do we make NHI sustainable? I think that's a that's a good question because without NHI, the current two-tier healthcare system is not sustainable. It's not leading us anywhere. Uh, unless there is any other concrete proposal that can show that it can achieve that without without having a prepayment mechanism such as taxation, uh, which um, you know is 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 roundly accepted around the world that you can can only finance universal coverage out of public financing, public funding, not out of pockets of people, not out of premiums, and then so on, but through public financing. That's very, very important uh, to, uh, to recognize. Yes, you know, a lot of noise um, resistance come from those who benefit, as I've said, from the, from the present, and in particular, the, the profiteers. You know, the people who profit most, uh, who benefit most from the status quo, are those who make a lot of money out of our health, okay? So it's, it's expected that they are, they are more likely to, uh, to resist. Uh, but, um, you know, like all South Africans, we, are, we should be prepared to engage and listen to their concerns. Uh, but such concerns should not undermine the core principles around which we... We, we all stand together, that we need a, a universal Have we just lost you? Have we just lost you, Mr. Paudu? Ms. Marchalamba? Hello, I just lost. Uh, yes, you're hello? back. Thank you. Please continue. Okay. Yes, yes. Thanks. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I, I just wanted to say that we, we, uh, we will support, you know, um, you know, we, we, we really need to understand that, you know, whatever outcome of this process should uh, at least cohere around the core principles that the NHI bill has, uh, has uh, otherwise the, the alternative is not an NHI as, as universally understood. Um, yes, the, the, someone asked, you know, he, you know, is it, you know, is it, is it, you know, this sounds like a socialist uh, a proposal uh, and, and, and whether whether you know this thing could, if it has failed somewhere else, how can it fail? I can't say that uh, it is only socialists who support NHI. Uh, I will be wrong around that for universal coverage. Okay, you don't need to be a socialist to be convinced that treating health as a commodity can achieve health care for all especially in a country like us, ours, 
with highest level, obscene levels of income and wealth inequality. You need you need to um, make sure that our good healthcare is not dependent on the healthcare market or on the market forces, as 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 I, I will say. You know that 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 there is a state out there that protects people uh, from financial hardships uh, when they access healthcare, and that such healthcare is is good. I mean, countries like um, uh, socialist countries, yes, have been uh, quite in the forefront of advancing uh, healthcare before, such as uh, Cuba, um, you know, and and in many aspects. But so does even in advanced economies. It is working people of those countries, poor and working class people, people who called for their own national health insurance. Whether that is in a form of NHS in UK or in Canada, uh, or uh, you know, or or another form in other countries, that it has been the working people, even in those societies, that have demanded a quality health care. So, so if understood as such, and uh, I'm sure you will agree that it is a good health care uh, for all. And in such societies, market. Uh, private health sector market, either in a form of insurance, don't play any significant role in the health lives of the countries, of those countries, except in one country, which interestingly, people are also rising up, uh, calling for a national health insurance. That is the United States, uh, which has got one of the most dysfunctional and unequal health systems uh, in the world, which is largely more or less private driven yeah so this uh, this is a, a part of the points I, I i would like to make with regard to the specific question you you also asked chair about you know is is sh- should we be satisfied with what the way paper white paper is saying about transitional measures to eliminate fragmentation of public health funding as you know, public health funding—I mean, not public, yeah, just public health—but health funding is is so fragmented. It's it's in many pockets. It is in the medical schemes. It is out of our po- out of pocket expenses. It is it is in the in the health budget. It is it is in UIF. It is it is all over. Make it quite difficult actually to use it. Uh, maximally uh, for cross-subsidization and to support. So the argument, which is linked to the argument uh, made earlier and in the form of a question to say, you know, we don't have, we have got a small text base. Uh, okay, let's let's remind ourselves what we said earlier. Uh, this is a almost nearly five trillion economy. This is South Africa, five trillion. We are not a, a small economy in terms of wealth, 5 trillion economy of rents. And 8.5 of that, over 400 billion of rents, we spend money on health. That is already expensive. That's already money we spend. Yeah, it may not be in a form of tax, all that money, but that is money we spend on healthcare. All the NHI, from our perspective, is calling for, is that how do we redistribute these resources? 
in such a way that they benefit, they improve the health outcomes. Okay. So out of these resources, surely we can find a lot of, we can make it affordable with even existing resources. And the, the most effective way you can do that, you know, as, as experience shows, is through a public finance mechanism, uh, not, not through a, a, uh, uh, a private-driven mechanism. That is, this is health we're talking about. It's not about a hamburger, to, uh, 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 buying a hamburger. It's about buying health care, life and death of people. You have to guarantee health care and make it sure that it is affordable to everyone. So I, I, will, uh, I will say that the current proposals in the bill does try to do that. Actually, they are doing that. They say we must look at new sources of funding. We must strengthen existing funding that we have, uh, not, not subjected to fiscal austerity, neoliberal fiscal austerity, uh, we we need to uh, make sure that uh, a lot of resource, we move away from employment employer based so that so that the workers who get these medical schemes you know contribute to a common port which is the NHI fund for the benefit of everyone for the benefit of everyone so there's a lot of money out there that can be uh, uh, mobilized. So as I've said, the question is, let us make sure, even if it takes a number of years, as suggested by the transition, transitional plan, to reach that, but we have uh, commit ourselves to, to make it more affordable. Okay. So that's my quick answer to affordability and sustainability. Uh, Chair, I think the... the there were other questions I would have loved to have time to look at, but I, I, I think with the, my time and, and your time, I, I may not be able to, uh, to answer those. Thanks. Thank you very much for, again, for your presentation and secondly, for answering these questions. We appreciate your being so open and frank about uh, answering those questions. We are about to adjourn honorable members. I'm just going to make a couple of remarks. And before I do that, I'm going to give uh, Mr. Pardo a last uh, opportunity to say some words, and then we will move on to the concluding remarks and then adjourn uh, for today. You're very welcome, Mr. Pardo. Sorry, Chairperson, yes, before we continue, I'd like to raise some matters, please. All right, let me just give the concluding remark to uh, the presenter and then I'll come to your point, Honorable Wilson. Okay, thanks once again for the opportunity and uh, we look forward for the, uh, you know, for quickly, uh, you know, uh, passage of this bill, uh, which we think that it, it is a landmark piece of legislation that will ensure that you know we we once and for all guarantee good healthcare coverage uh, for all South Africans. Uh, thanks, uh, the Chair, once again. Thank you very much, Honourable Wilson. 
Thank you, Chair. I've been trying to get to these points for a while, but we, we, we seem to miss each other or we, we have some holdups. There's two issues I'd like to raise, and this is predominantly as far as the portfolio is concerned. It has nothing to do with the presentations we've received. Chair, on a couple of occasions now, in fact, more than one occasion, we have had references and comparatives done to the national health system in the United Kingdom, as well as Thailand and other countries. Now, prior to COVID, um, and I, I think it was raised by Dr. Blomo, that this portfolio committee was um, going to go and do oversights. Um, I think if, um, I'm under correction to, the, to see the NHS, and I think the system in Thailand. Um, I know there was application made for this trip to be authorized. I'm not sure how far that went. But I think at this stage, and because it comes up so very often, is there any chance we can follow up on this and see if the portfolio committee cannot go um, over to see the NHS and, and possibly another system um, so that we can interrogate how they started and how they've got to today? That's number one. And number two, Chair, just a concern, and, 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 and I, I might be completely out of line here, one of the um, presentations, or one of the people who has not pre presented in terms of the NHI, who, but who must be very closely involved and have opinions on this, is the Council for Medical Schemes. And I would really like them to come and talk to us and see how NHI in the long term is going to impact them. They do report to us. We, we get presentations from them often. And I would really like to get their opinion on where we are now and how it will affect the Council for Medical Schemes in the long term. Um, I don't know if it's possible. I'm not sure if they made applications, but I really would like to get their sort of their side of the story, their angle on the NHI board. I thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honourable Wilson. Let me start with your first point. We are in the process, the committee, technically and I, at looking at possible visit to uh, the UK and the possible visit to Thailand. We, you probably would have heard that uh, the borders were only open up two days ago, and uh, due to COVID, of course, it has been delayed. So we are in discussion, and the committee, secretary, and I will be meeting again to have a further discussion on this possibility. And we are still hoping to have that done for, uh, before we start with the clause by clause uh, work. Um, but yes, we're doing everything that we possibly can to see whether we can get some, uh, learn something from those who have already implemented something similar. And then, as far as the Council for Medical Schemes are concerned, um, we have made every effort to contact all of those who have made submissions or have made, have indicated that they wants to do oral uh, presentations. Uh, the uh, Council for Medical Schemes are not one of those, and therefore we are not going to allow them an opportunity in these uh, public hearings. But we are mindful that they are returning uh, to us uh, in the uh, second uh, quarter. And I guess at that stage we'll be able to also ask them uh, what their uh, views would be on the NHI bill, et cetera. So you, you can raise your concerns with them when they do come back to, to present to us uh, early in the next quarter. 
honorable members for tomorrow, and I hope those uh, answers answer your questions, uh, honorable uh, Wilson. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable members, to remind you for tomorrow, we're starting at 08.55, again a tight schedule in terms of us having a sitting in the afternoon, so we're having committee of medical deans at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, followed by the hour at uh, 15 minutes past 10. And then after that, we're doing consideration, consideration and adoption of minutes. So uh, have a wonderful sitting today. Uh, we appreciate you all coming to be part of this meeting and all of our presenters also for uh, participating today. And uh, this meeting is very adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Recording stopped.